Cradleine Network. Yo, VIP. My name is Connor, alongside my friend Fox, and it's the 230th episode of Space Spinner 2000. Good lord. 230 years of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast. God damn. That's right. Shout out to all those 1790 folks. Podcast (laughs) where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for November and December 1990. Progs 704 to 707. This time mm. will Oh jeez, I forgot to write I I didn't write this one ahead of time because I thought I wasn't doing it. Oh. Wing it, wing it. <laughs> this time Judge Dredd helps or um Judge this time Judge Dredd helps Kurthster's kids and orphans get get a break in the form of PJ maybe the Harlem Heroes broadcast out into the sunset. Um, <sighs> oh sorry about let me start again. Let me start again. You may. This this time, we've got a bunch of thrills, but oh man, they interrupted my quintuple X-rated movie. Oh, jeez. (laughs) Oh, no. No. (laughs) If you were any longer with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 15, Anderson, The Side Divisions, Volume 2. Uh, Hooligans Haircut Collection, 2080 Extreme Edition, 14 and 19, and the Judge Dread Magazine, 359 and 60. Or maybe so, just 60, actually, now that I'm thinking about I mean, it. So, so I'll tell you, listeners, uh, before I had read this, Conrad had made a quadruple X joke, and it will come Quintuple, to fruition. Please. Quintuple. Excuse me. <laughs> uh, before I had read this, and it will come to fruition... I can only imagine that that, like, as you go from from the third X to the next to the next, it is either like like pain, poop, or animals. Yeah, but no, then I've, every listen, X after that is adding what wasn't added before. If that yeah. makes sense. No, listen. When we get there, I've got a deep dive about the X rating system oh, in in movies. My Fox. God! Oh, All right, I, s- I I anticipated this aside, and we'll get Conrad. To it. <laughs> I am so excited right now. Yeah, buddy. Here we go. <laughs> Speaking of excited. I'm excited to get these new eyes implanted, buddy. So let's talk about Thrill One, Judge Dredd. I get heat, night vision, and probably like, if I could actually control it, like, uh, like distance, you know? But I'd be able mm. to say, like, here's standard def and here's yeah. like hawk vision. Like a not zoom? Like ho- yeah, not like, um, oh, what was that fucking movie? Like the one where they they got uh, supervision and then it's not dazed and confused. Jesus Christ! I know what you mean. I mean, even yeah, like like those early episodes of like Smallville or something where yeah, Superman where it's like, can't, I can't really control it. Yeah, like sometimes his friends just look like bones because he's X-ray vision through them or something like that by accident. Yeah, not interesting. I just want to think to my brain, standard death, please. I'd just like to see human people. Yeah. 
I, I want to get one of those things built into my head that you have at the eye doctor where you can just put a bunch of different lenses down as ne- as necessary. They sort of click oh in. Oh, my God. But they're inside of your own brain. Yasa yeah. is getting the full treatment. Maybe. Or is he? He's been abducted. Conrad, please continue. That's right. Script Robot John Wagner, Art Robot Steve Dillon, and Hart. I think this is probably Gina Hart doing the coloring for this first story. Um, and then also Anthony Williams, Letting Robot uh, Pericles, and Tom Frank. <laughs> Pericles? What? What? That's what it says in Prague 704. All right. It's like Pericles with a question mark, I believe. Oh, that... Actually, it does. Uh, uh, sorry, it's just blowing my mind. <laughs> sorry, please continue. That's right. Listen, he's the he's the first what first citizen of Athens, buddy. You know, he's got like like a a mound on his head. That's what I learned in the cartoonist of the universe. Anyway, so dread. He's rolling into a hospital, the Al Bundy <laughs> Med Center, Fox, because it is nineteen ninety. He's actually literally rolling in. He's rolling in on his motorcycle yeah. into a medical ward. Busy man. He's looking for Yasip, uh, <laughs> Yasipovi. He passes rows of injured citizens as newscasters say death is still at large. Anderson thinks he's fled the med, the, the Meg, I should say. But actually, he's still there and dictating his memoirs to a reporter, as we're seeing in the pages of Big Meg One right now. And I, I do love that Dredd smells the cloth that chloroformed him, basically. Yeah. It's like, yeah, oh, that's it, definitely chloroform. I got definitely. the nostrils for that. Yeah, well, you you, you, you definitely learn it in judge school. Yeah, inside uh, Yas's room, there's sides of a struggle and a ransom note. Ten million credits or the Jew gets eight. Uh, I feel like these guys are going to get shot. Yeah, no, listen, they have made a mistake. Elsewhere, elsewhere, at a rad pit, a car gets tossed into a slime pool, and the kidnappers carry Yasa into the night, but one of them stumbles along on the way, and the oh, other kidnapper... Oh, he must be sick with some stuff, maybe. Yeah. The other kidnapper, Geech, seems pretty paranoid, but they're generally just stoked to get all that money from the department. If there's anybody who has a, uh, a monk's haircut... It's kind of what I call it. It's the sideburns all around the side, but the bald on top. Yeah, no, yeah. Geech kind of has that um, tonsure kind of uh, baldness going on. <sighs> it says, it's, I mean, it says that you're kind of suspicious. Gives you an evil look, especially when you're drawn by Steve Dillon, for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, Dread calls in the kidnapping. He finds the perp's disguises. And uh, some investigators or some other judges say the note was written in human blood. And whosoever right. blood it was is also sick with the creeping booboos. I so I mean this will come to fruition later. So they used like one of the kidnappers' blood to write the yeah. note. Where else are you gonna get blood, Fox? If you had to write a note in blood right now, maybe they just maybe they aren't cannibals. They just know some cannibals and they'll drop Yasa off with them. It does feel like Gage is kind of the. He does seem cannibal-like. The power top, you know? Yeah. No, definitely. He's not going to give his blood. Yeah, no. Now they're in a very uh, first Scream movie kind of situation. <laughs> where where two sort of cover them up. They got to stab... One of them has to stab the other. 
you know? And so now the other dude's kind of in that Matthew Lillard, like, you cut me too deep, bro, kind of situation, you know? But then in Scream 2, it's like, don't don't think the dumb cop is dumb because he's also bad. I don't know shit about those other Scream movies, folks. I'll tell you that much. They're all the same movie, and they're all just as amazing. Anyway, Dredd goes to find these guys. He calls Anderson, who's up and around again. I guess she is, you know, this is sort of, Anderson's in a couple different timelines here. Just based on this post-Necropolis story, the oh, pre-Necropolis sure. in Shambhala. We also um, don't need to see her with a with a, a cane because she's holding on to a console. She's know. fine. She's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, she can't mind scan the kidnappers, but luckily Yas is having a nightmare and that <laughs> shines like a beacon. But like um, the craziest of nightmares. Yeah, no. Well, we see some of it as Sister Yasa, or Sister Nausea, I should say, advances on a younger Yasa with evil intent, and the kid screams out. Dread actually hears that scream, so we know he's getting close. Man, God, I love this hunt. Yeah, Yasa's dream is always the same as the terrifying Sister Nausea goes, you know, gouges out his eyes. He keeps screaming as Dread rushes towards him and calls it in. The other kidnapper wants to kill Yasa to shut him up. Geach stops him. And as he but, does, oh man, yeah, Got them boobos. He sees the creeping boobos on the guy's arm. He pulls English. his gun and kills his accomplice. And dreads close <laughs> enough now to even hear those shots. But then also because Yasa is still screaming, he then Geach then also is like, "I'm gonna shoot ya." Well, at this point, he's already killed his buddy. He knows he's in trouble, so you might he's as well got just the take blood this kid fervor. out too. Yep. Yeah. So he prepares to kill Yasa when Dread shows up. And when Geesh doesn't drop his gun, Dread blows him away with a choom. A kachum. Thank you very much. Mm. With the kidnappers out of the way, Dread wakes Yasa up and carries him back to safety as backup arrives. Medtechs give them both <coughs> Bubo's vaccines. And you need another tomorrow. Yeah, well, listen, there's going to be some vaccine stuff here going on. You know, they got to indoctrinate these folks to the to the Illuminati one way or another, buddy. Um, <laughs> they're implanting microchips. Sorry, um, please. Yeah, so they take him back to the hospital. <laughs> Dred's got to go to a meeting, but he'll be assigning judges to stand watch and keep Yasa safe in the meantime. I, I do really like how much attention he's giving to Yasa. Like... Yeah, definitely. Like, okay, they they made some statue, statues out of, um, God, why am I forgetting his yeah, name? Yeah, for Fergie. All, yeah, for Fergie, all, for sure. All over the city, yeah. Uh, but, like, with this, it's so personal. And I think that given the change that we've seen, that that personal touch, it felt really good to see him just, like, I am the one who is going to rescue yeah, you I know. agree, especially because I think, you know, Fergie kind of directly saved the city. I mean, he sort mm. of, ki- you know, he, he killed Judge Cal and stuff. Oh, yeah. And I, but I think the connection of who saved, you know, I mean, Yasa very much saved Dredd and helped nurse him back to health when he was the dead man. And then only his, like, hero worship of Dredd led him directly to getting his eyes taken out and stuff like that. So I think mm. it's very important that Dredd takes responsibility for it. I, well, and and given his change, that he would even think that he should take responsibility. Yeah, no, definitely shows a difference. Yeah, a difference in the character, definitely. I, um, I just it really like felt this is great. 
Yeah, this is a big difference from, say, what his relationship was with Rico's daughter, if you recall. Oh, who, yeah. Where Dredd very much said, like, I'm, ne- you know, I've, su- I've seen her once. I, like, helped. I, like, saved her and or something. But I'm never, I'm never going to come never back. Yeah, exactly. teach her to hate me, stuff like that. You know, it's a big difference. Um, yeah, but so Dredd's got to go to this, go to this democracy meeting. So he can't go with Yasser to the hospital. And we see outside Justice Central, a bunch of, P- of Mega City One citizens are protesting as Magruder calls the anti-democracy meeting to order. Man, the first the first couple like, hey, maybe we could do this is is just the fucking like, really, that's the that's the first thing we should talk about is like, hey, maybe don't have have facial hair. I think what do you mean by us and we no I, it, it's good levity in the middle of the scene but I'm also just that it, it kind of shows like the first thing that comes to their mind is not the citizens if that no, makes it's, sense No it's it's propriety and I but I think also it's good just to sort of finalize some of this new Judge Magruder character as well um, Sure like we learn that as she as as Magruder calls the meeting to order she says that she's not going to reform the Council of Five, but will instead be consulting groups of senior judges as needed for important decisions. That's um, why they're all here, even yeah. though they are definitely, you know, deserters in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get into it for sure. Yeah. Um, the judges are confused about what's going on with her. One asks about the beard. Judge Grice shows up and questions her about talking in the third person. And she, of course, comes back with insults about them blowing it and then turning over to the force of evil in the course of Necropolis, you know. I mean, the cadets and several fucking different judges did not turn, you know. Yeah, she's definitely. not. She's not uh, unright. You know, I mean, like it's tough. I mean, because I think it is because they were possessed by the absolutely by the forces of the dark judges, and they didn't get the cadets because they didn't think the cadets were worth it. And and all the other judges we saw that weren't possessed were either were had escaped the city right at the start, mm. like the one um, judge that sort of went over the wall before mm. things got real bad. And the other one we saw was Anderson, who, of course, right during the initial assault, got some shrapnel to the back and fell into the undercity. Yeah, you know? I still find myself kind of siding with Magruder in that. Yeah, which is, I mean, I mean, whether, interesting. It, whether it's their fault or not, it's definitely a public relations problem. It's definitely a PR disaster for the judges, you know, just besides all the deaths. Um, she wants to know. Like like what and how they go from here and another and the and many of the judges just kind of say like well we should just keep doing what we were doing you know like whatever Which, let's bust some heads put some false flag protesters in among the democracy movements we have excuse to uh, arrest them all that kind of stuff. Which I mean this is this is almost worse than um, the war with the Sov nations. You know mm. what I mean. Uh, I mean, the whole place was turned into a death camp by the fascist state that was effectively in power. Yeah. And I, I, I love this shift that eventually happens. You kind of hear it in, in how they're talking because Judge Magruder doesn't want to give it up. Well, I mean, but she wants she, to stay but chief she's judge. Also but also not I think saying she... the same thing as the senior judges. Yeah, I think she's definitely got a, per- a different perspective than ju- than Grice and some of the other uh, mm. uh, uh, senior judges here. Um, meanwhile, at the hospital, Yasa listens to the news about the democracy protesters, and here's a report about his own kidnapping. And he's pretty stoked about it. He's like, holy shit, that's me. 
I mean, it, it is kind of cool, I guess. I would Anderson, be pretty yeah, stoked. Definitely. Anderson's here to help with Yasa's nightmares, which is also pretty cool. Um, I, I liked that when they showed up, they were in this kind of shadowed background, which if you remember from the previous episode, like that's how the kidnappers showed up basically. Yeah. I mean, it's very much a similar, I mean, I mean, that's just the way into the room, I guess, but now there's judges flanking the doors and stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. Dreads pushing through the protest crowd as Yas is finally able to, to sleep peacefully. Um, the judges are suggesting hard reforms, uh, new termination level offenses, like, you know, just because we're, we're very low on prison stock, we're low on cadets as well. Any relaxation, they say, of their grip could lead to the end of their power over the city. And Dredd walks in and says he doesn't quite agree. Uh, he's he's that he's that nice uh, uh, else statement, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, he's sort of he shows up. He says he like he he knows the score that if. There were if the judges were removed from Mega City One, the whole place oh, would col- would collapse into chaos instantly. You know, and I think that's fair because we know I know what these uh, mega citizens are like, Fox. You oh, know, I not all of them, but certainly um, a, a number. I mean, it, it reminds me a lot of um, of that one thing Tommy Lee Jones says in the movie Men in Black, which is like. <laughs> A person. One man is smart. But, yeah, a person uh, is smart, perceptive, and understanding. People are dumb, violent, and quick to panic. You know. Yes. And 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 that's Mega City One. I mean, like, and honestly, honestly, the average mega citizen isn't really that smart and prone to fads and violence quite quite easily as well. Some of them wear knee pads on their head to showcase that they have knee pads, and they can on be tricked into. And to be go- tricked into going into war, quite to war with each other, quite easily. It happens a lot. Um, Man, yeah. yeah. But so basically, <laughs> he knows that the city would eat itself if the judges were removed. But he's also been thinking about this a lot, and he knows that they can't just go on without the consent of the governed. He makes a point that government mm. without consent is a dictatorship, and that's not what the judges should be. No, they're all right with being a fascism, but you at the very least need a. a, a just a touch of democracy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just for at least for PR purposes or something like that. Over the objections mm. of the other judges, especially Judge Grice, oh, man, sig- he just dro- he takes out his dick and drops it on the table. I mean, listen, that's what you can do when you're Judge Dredd because he's you can never say- done it though. This yeah, is what I love about it because like, Dredd has never done in, it. in his quiver. Like, you know, I can't help but notice that, like, I uh, happened to save the city, like, seven or eight times in my time, you know, in the last what couple done, years. What you done, What you done? And, uh, you know, I left town, and then I had to come back into town to save the city again. I, I, it, it's funny because he, at least in my memory, I've never seen him, like, publicly effectively just say no like, i mean we haven't no, seen i'm ju- the most right one i've done we all did- of these great things challenge yeah. me bitch i'd say the you know? only time we've ever really seen dread sort of say like hey like i've make i'm making an unpopular call on this because i'm judge dread basically was with um the judge child at the end of the judge child quest oh where he basically said this kid's evil i'm not bringing him back to the city you know, you have to trust me on this. And um, and, and that and wasn't even him just him. saying, how much have you done? 
you know? No, that's just no. I mean, definitely, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know if he's saying that. Where maybe he, he's more sort of implying it, or we're reading into it. I think I, um, I may be definitely into it. That's but I, I think it is def. I mean, that's sort of. I mean, at this point, I mean, that is the weight Dread has. I mean, I think in the aftermath of the Kraken situation, where they knew oh. Dread was so oh, yeah. important on the street that they had to make an imposter, you know, or something like that. That he, be, him being back mm. and saying that you know his word carries a lot of weight in these situations, and so because of that. He says that they should have a vote, a citywide vote to let the people decide if the judges should stay in control or if they should return to some kind of democracy. I am so excited for the uh, Al Capone style press gangs that will maybe or may not come. (laughs) We'll see. I mean, I think it it is interesting to see Dredd have this stance here and have a very different one in the America story in the magazine that we're talking about. You know, ah. one of the one of the first things that he that Dredd says in, in America is um justice has a price and that price is freedom. You know, it seems very different, but I think also it might be just different eras in Dredd's life or something like that. I don't know. That's something I'm keeping an eye on across these publications, I guess. Um but so basically I, Oh so sorry, sorry go no, ahead. No, no, oh. please, please go ahead. So I was going to say, uh, Fox, this is the start of a long-term <laughs> plot in Dread. Um, this election stuff won't be resolved until the until fall of 1991, basically a year approximately now or so. But really, we will, yeah, but we will be getting stories and updates and sort of pieces, you know, bits and pieces of this story along the way. Sort of as the Justice Department kind of figures out what they're going to do. Yeah, there's going to I mean there, there's going to be back and forth. It's going to be a big part of some stories just in the background of other stories, but it's something to keep in keep in like maybe not, you know, like like in the front of your mind, but definitely something to keep in your background in the background as we go forwards. What what I love uh, cuz I know that we still have PJ maybe to go through, uh, which is mm-hmm. so tangential to all of this, but also important. I I love that they're like this guy's a fucking Democrat, as opposed to say this guy's a socialist or this guy's a this or this guy's a that. Like the worst thing they can say about him is that he is trying to give people the ability to. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, like you this, know, this uh, small part, small D Democrat, I should say for sure. I, I have been excited about this meeting for a while, and it did not disappoint in that. I feel like the voices that you expect to be heard, given our, you know, uh, time with Judge Dredd, the the judges that feel like shit could should still continue. It's almost like uh, um, arguing with with Corp in a way. Hmm. Everyone likes a Judge Dredd that just punches and shoots people and sends them to the cubes, right? Sure. But realistically, given the the progression of the story, I don't feel, especially with how Dredd sort of presents himself, he's like, no, dude, I believe in firm control and rigid discipline and instant justice. But we, uh, like, what they need right now is not that. It will make it emphatically worse. And we are already a festering wound. Mm-hmm. And what I like about the character is it... it could seem responsatory and maybe at the end of the day it is him just responding to like 
hey, based on bloodline calculations, whatever, this is how you do this thing in order to subdue the masses. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, it, it could also be a change in who this guy is. And he's like, look, we are a fascist state. And we should be one because there are billions of people normally that we have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right now is not that time because they just lost everybody and they're a little angry and maybe they should vote about how much power we have. Yeah. No, I think and there's... It, it's, um, it's interesting. That's all. Sorry. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think there's sort of like this concept is one that, you know, is interesting on its face and I think there's going to be more stuff to go. As we sort of move along this uh, this plot line for it, for sure. Cool. Then let's yeah. get into PJ Maybe, who is who I want to talk about. My boy, <laughs> peanut butter jelly. Yeah. So Anthony Williams takes over on art, first time in the Prague. <sighs> and serial killer PJ Maybe is back. I mean, you know, he loves his Fruit Loops. He loves his Honey Nut Cheerios. He loves his Tetris-shaped, uh, what is it, Rice Krispies treat cereal. Yeah, he loves to it's get a serial high. Killer. And, he, he loves to get high and talk to you how uh, how in Lucky Charms the marshmallows are all symbols of uh, pagan religions and the oat pieces are uh, are uh, are uh, Christian symbols. It's all crosses and fish and stuff. Why is Kev O'Neill not making the comic book that you just expressed? <laughs> I think it's a Patton Oswald bit, actually. But um, Is Anthony, it? Anthony, okay. yeah. So Anthony Williams on art. We last saw PJ maybe in summer of 1989, being arrested and sent to the Psycho Cubes. But now I'm so glad that he's still in super control of just everything. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Now it seems like he's free once more to make silly drawings and spell terribly while killing people. Listen, yep. Fox, Necropolis was bad for sure, but listen, not that bad for some people. Take him, for instance. I mean, I can just make a chainsaw noise with my mouth as long as my lips aren't moving, and this crazy person with an axe will definitely believe me, and then I will go through a man's brain to take out keys and set fire to a place. I mean, I'm happy with this PJ Maybe story. Listen, buddy, you had your chance to recap this story, all right? Let me I do know. my thing. <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, like you said, PJ didn't even know Necropolis was going on until the guy in the cell next to him got loose and attacked him. But like you said, he was able to scare him off with an invisible chainsaw and find the keys to the cubes inside the skull of an orderly. Most of the staff, it seems, left the cubes when the sisters built their... Or began their assault, and now the inmates are running the asylum, as you do. But eventually, so, PJ was able to escape. I mean, by setting some fires. And also, the best touch was... I, and you don't know if he's telling the truth or not, because it's fucking PJ, maybe. That yeah. one of the sisters just reaches her hand down, pats him on the head, and says, Good boy. Yeah, yeah. As the like that that section at the start of Necropolis, where the sisters, where the giant um, sisters of death are towering over the city and threatening everybody and stuff like that. It seems as though one of them, yeah, just sort of saw PJ and I, was like, yeah. I like the idea that they're like, wait, 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 wait. that that dude's like one of us. <laughs> yeah, you can go I, along and with this. PJ would be the only one. I mean, definitely, de definitely one of these things where when the de when the reality hopping um, death avatars come to power, 
that's definitely a situation that he's been he's sort of been preparing his whole life for in a way that he uh, everyone else hasn't been definitely mm. um but by preparing his life you mean to <laughs> what murdering people death. yeah listen come on okay <laughs> um <clears throat> a little bit yeah so um yeah nice to be appreciated meanwhile in the present, Dred's on patrol by the Oxter house on Hillcrest. I, was, I like how they treat it like a different story. I mean, it is technically, but it's not. Yeah, yeah the two things sense. are sort of happening at the same time, and Dred's stuff doesn't seem to be related at this point. I should say, uh, Fox, Oxter means armpits. I don't know if you're aware of this. Um, That's a good thing to know. Yeah, but it was it was once owned by Diego Urchinson and... and, and Urchison and family, a multi-billionaire inventor of the 24-hour crotch and oxter liner. What? But it looks abandoned it's, now. I just, is that like a, a spiky cod piece? What is that? I'm kind of imagining like a maxi pad that just sort of covers like your whole kind of crotch area and armpits. I mean, a maxi pad that covers your taint and prevents taint smell. Yeah. Like a what what in professional wrestling you would call a muffler, sort of. There's a body on the electric wire out in front of the Oxter house, so Dredd just goes to investigate. The automated security company doesn't exist anymore, but the local killbots are definitely still online. Uh, anyway, back in the past, PJ stole a car, headed home to see his parents who are watching the sisters on TV and acting weird. They're looking real lethargic, strange, hmm? Yeah, things are so bad, it seems they decided to put on their these special 007 pants that his dad created, or trousers, I suppose. I, what 007 pants murder you with water? I'm guessing because it's not alcohol. Oh, but I'm... Hey! Well, PJ explains it that basically they're there so that if you're a spy and you get compromised, you can commit suicide real easily. It's like having the cyanide capsule in your tooth. But in this case, it's that if these pants get wet, the fabric <sighs> exudes contact poison and kills you in about five minutes. Man, I feel like so many things get spilled on my pants by accident. Oh, yeah. Know? No, this is not a good pant design, unless you want to die, for sure. Which, um, I mean, they, they they nailed it. I mean, yeah, listen, I guess. Um, and green, you know? Anyway, they, green. yeah, they both die. PJ, he's kind of at a loss, I guess. Not because he really cares, if, like, loves his parents, <laughs> but because he was hoping that they could sort of be the public face that would allow him to get a fake identity and sort of go somewhere to safety, basically, to avoid being rearrested. <sighs> Man, it totally sucks that now I have to be Sherlock Holmes's arch nemesis. Yeah, he's Moriarty, but he doesn't have anyone to help him with his full to go full Moriarty at least until the phone rings. It's Mrs. Urchison, and thus PJ puts his plan into motion as Dread approaches the mansion front door. Next time on Dread, under fire. I mean, he's really not Moriarty until you put him in some ram and then forget about him and then bring him up in another episode and then basically put him in a giant box of ram and then forget about him again this is the this is the tng moriarty that we're talking about now i will neither confirm nor deny that i'm talking about science fiction stuff right now conrad i loved it i loved all of the dread and we yeah. talked about it a lot and i i won't sideline us further but it, no, it it's was, fine listen i'm as guilty was, as anyone i talk about mufflers for god's sake I'm, <laughs> I mean, it was just lovely. It was, 
it was more than I thought it would be for the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're definitely setting up some big post-Necropolis angles here. I should say also that we're actually really getting to the end of uh, John Wagner's time on Dread. Like, he's sort of seeding some plot lines and stuff here, but I think a lot of this is really setting things up for uh, Garth Ennis, who's going to be taking over, I think, next episode, actually. Um, Maybe not fully full-time, but definitely he's coming into it, like, he's sort of being transitioned to be the new Dread writer as Wagner uh, moves to writing Dread for the magazine, basically. He's doing a lot of stuff over there. Anyway, yeah, good times. Hey, you know what's not good times, Fox? Uh, No, it is good times, because it's only... A handful of me having to deal with it, so please continue. That's right. Thrill to Harlem Heroes. Uh, walk away, my boys. Walk away, my boys. Yeah. By morning, you'll be butta 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 butta. Uh, script uh, script Michael Fleischer. Art robot Kev Walker, Simon Jacob, and Kev Hopgood. Or art robot Kev Hopgood, Simon Jacob, and Kev Walker, Simon Hopgood, and Kev. Fuck me. Art Robot, Kev Walker, Simon Jacob, Kev Hopgood, Letting Robot, Bambo George, you as the Bambot. Um, bit of a clash of styles here, Fox. Uh, Kev Walker, who's been doing the art on Harlem Heroes, got uh, fell ill while working on oh, this that's issue. Horrible. Yeah, it's a bummer. But so you can kind of see if you look in 704, the first two panels look a little different than the rest of the comic because that's when Simon Jacob took over, basically. I'm very glad that uh, they got the opportunity to... Uh, I appreciate people sentence. stepping up and helping out, for sure. Absolutely. At the very least. It's a team effort. So anyway, uh, that assassin with the, cy- with the cyber eyes comes storming in. He shoots Patrice and sends the rest of the heroes to cover. Silver gets caught underneath a computer console, but then the wall collapses onto her and slice the two of them together... As Cyber Eyes wonders if he's just killed them all and it's all over. Some corporate security guys storm in as Cyber Eyes goes to kill Deacon. But the leader of the heroes keeps fighting, even though he gets a vicious headbutt and knee to the face from the Cyber Eyes dude. But then Silver runs in, slaps a bomb onto the dude, onto the uh, killer's back, and he Limp blows up it, real good. Bomb, but mine. they don't say it. Yeah. Never, ne- never forget. But yeah, if you, I'm, su- I'm surprised it worked. Because she didn't announce it. <laughs> I mean, it, at this point in time, it it was closer to calling it a proximity mine or mm. a remote mine from GoldenEye 007, just in terms of, of year. Possible. But I mean, that's one of those. I mean, when it comes to references like that, because it, does, it hasn't happened yet, that's sort of I'm Price is Right rules going on here, to be Fox. Uh, closest without going. <laughs> yeah. Or, or do you mean that it's, that it's already spayed or, or neutered? Or reverse prices right, I guess, because you're sort of going under it's and you exactly got to go over. Exactly why I said it was spayed or neutered. Could be. Anyway, um, listen. <laughs> Security's making its way up as Deacon grabs the disc from Patrice, goes to the console, and turns on the message from the heroes. And you know, we made it all the way up the Matterhorn, so you know what that means. You get to guess the price of the you done it. You're a lady, you're a lady. Um, I oh should say God, I something you. kind of funny with the um, with the reprint of the heroes in the Judge Dredd magazine. Fox okay. is that is that in that one in uh, in magazine two hundred and sixty. This is where Harlem Heroes ends. They don't 
but they don't publish the final ish um, um, episode of the story. And I imagine no one really noticed. I don't imagine a lot of people complaining. But anyway, <laughs> Kev Hopgood takes over on art. Hey, what happened to our quintuple X-rated movie? <sighs> Says it's the some... only good line from the entire thing. And also, Conrad. Yeah, so listen. Yeah, so 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 a random couple's watching on the couch as the hero's message goes out. And apparently they were watching a quintuple X-rated movie. I looked well, up something about X-rated movies. and Fox. a babe. Yeah. So – you know, when the MPAA sort of made their ratings and stuff, Fox, okay. they had the ones that we're familiar with, uh, G, PG, and R, and then X, all right? So X mm-hmm. was movies. There were boobies. Or maybe I a mean, kiss. I mean, honestly, like, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, honestly, I feel like it, it, it actually is pretty, ex- like, usually it's pretty strong sexual oh, stuff. That, that's I mean, right. If you clock- had more than one fuck in a movie... Well, at no, a point, I mean, you would get next, right? I don't know, because, like, I'm just think like, the movies that are rated X are movies like Caligula or A Clockwork Orange or uh, Midnight so Cowboy, weird. which That's are weird. movies that have pretty graphic, like, violence and sex in them, to be honest. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't want a, a seven-year-old to see fucking Caligula. Like, it's not, like, I know, like... It's easy. Like, I mean, this is like, like, this is like in the seventies, basically. So it's not like full Hayes Co. stuff where we can't let the children see two people who aren't married holding hands. Like, it's very much like people, like movie, movies about fucking Pushing are boundaries. getting, are getting broad distribution and we got to kind of do something about that, you know? I mean, um, I saw Caligula at, at 17 and I mean, I haven't murdered anyone. Well, yeah, I mean, <sighs> Okay, you know yeah. I mean. No, because no, yeah, that, that was I'm, part of why they originally anyway, please continue. Anyway, sorry. But I'm I'm just trying to say, all right, that they felt like there had to be some levels of like, you know, this movie is for grown ups. You probably shouldn't like you can't like you can't bring kids in to see it. Kids can't see this in the theater, basically. Which I'm I'm okay with on I th- on a certain principle. I think it's fine, all right? Yeah. If just because sometimes if stuff's really objectionable, I don't know if I really want there to be a random kid in the theater with me for it. That's weird too. But anyway, um, what they didn't, <laughs> what they worse. didn't, what they didn't do, which they should have done, Fox, was copyright the term rated X. Oh and no! So he, everyone went wild. Yeah. So basically, yeah, like all like um, people who were making movies that weren't rated but wanted to sort of describe them as salacious could still call them you know porn porn basically would say rated x and of course this naturally le- led to escalation of movies rated you know double x and eventually triple x was sort of settled on there's sort of like there's some porn dude tried to do kind of a taxonomy of the X ratings, Fox. I, I don't trust any which, quote porn dude to do a taxonomy yeah, of it. Listen, if that makes sense. Like the theory is that a double X rated movie would have simulated sex, like what you would get on a Cinemax or a Showtime late at night or something like that. You're, I mean, you're, I consider Dolomite movies like a an X rated, like the most basic level of just. It's cheesy, it's stupid, there are some boobs sometimes, but it's also mostly just comedy. I mean, I would if say that, that, that I you make me look up what these black exploitation movies are rated. But like, because I think that the, the important thing is that like, 
that is um like again in this made up rating um <laughs> it is like like double x would be like oh yeah we're doing a movie that is um we're doing a movie that's like you know about people partic- like like having sex but we don't show like erection you know you probably don't see like um HBO like the act- shit yeah, yeah. Again, like like I said, like Cinemax or mm. um or Showtime or whatever. That's sort of like late at I mean, night. That's that's the thing kind of, that kind, the of kind of softcore simulated sex. Exactly. While while X would be like you know hardcore sex basically. Like listen, well, you you're seeing these dicks, etc. But uh, anyway, anyway, what I'm saying is that that's all made up and not real. All right. And similarly, yes. the idea of a, of a quadruple or quintuple X, like they joke around here, again, not a real rating, just thing, extra things to say salacious and stuff like that. Absolutely. That's but why they do use it in some countries where I've seen it. Not good. All right. Yeah. I, you know, listen, I can only tell you about the future America that we're based off here. I just thought that was a fun little digression. These days they've swapped out X for uh, NC-17, which is copyrighted. So that's why there's no mm. uh, porn movie saying like oh, this one. Yeah, right by this the film rating board. NC-67, buddy. You got to be a senior citizen to watch it. It's so graphic. I mean. Ultra porn. <sighs> if it's 67, you know I'm sneaking in with some heavy makeup just get a just get a fake arp card fox you'll be fine but I mean, um, anyway early anyway. breakfast sun discount <laughs> how can i be upset so broadcasts across the country are being interrupted images of the assassination of the president go out everywhere and it's clear that whoever did it isn't the harlem heroes the newspapers say it was <sighs> for reason i guess they just you can tell whatever i i'm not i'm not even gonna ask you whatever Okay, they get it. I, I'm just saying it looks still like them in the sketchy video feed that they have, but, you know. It's true sure. that definitely there is not enough. I feel like there has, there's generally not been enough effort to make these um, these guys look like very different from the Harlem Heroes team that we've seen so far. But it's, anyway. It's listen. almost as though no one told the artist to say, make them look slightly different, but still different enough. Essentially. Listen, Fox, I'm tired of talking about Harlem here. Let's get I out know. of here. I'm sorry. Um, let's let's keep moving. <laughs> um, the office is washed up, but of course, the megacorps will survive. As uh, we see now, some slightly less well-armored security forces run up the <laughs> elevator to confront the heroes. Um, who are now carrying out an injured Patrice. Luckily, he has a plan and summons a jet that he fitted with a remote control uh, device to the window. Remember? Oh, yeah. Whatever. Please keep Sli- going. Slice throws a chair through the window and they escape. And thus Mercury National takes credit for the video being released. And at the White House, bow tie and regular tie get a box that's supposed to be this week's drug profits but it's actually a bomb that kills them because <sighs> they whatever don't have people who check for that who cares and well, definitely or, trust the fucking uh, mime on the goddamn tv yeah i think their people have been like have turned against them basically so they're sort oh. of Killing them to get them out of the way or Conrad, something. Conrad, I feel like you put more thought into this than the story did. Very Godfather sort of part here as things tie themselves up and stuff like that. One um, would hope, but 
Anyway, the hero's name is cleared, and they've got nothing else to fear as they fly off into the sunset. And two of them kind of look at each other, and uh, they say, ah, they say we've got nothing to fear. Do you believe that? And Slice is like, well, I do believe in the Easter Bunny. The end of Harlem Heroes! I feel like they could have had, like, some kind of egg humor through line, and then that would have been the best, like one-liner ender but instead it like he could have been like uh do i believe in doppelgangers or what the fuck ever you know yep anyway the heroes it, it will is, return is the, him. no they won't stop it i told you this story was going to last for a long time yeah the heroes will return in august of 1991 so good times why did it even stop then because we're at this natural amazing stopping point you know <sighs> if you're going to give me a root canal root canal me yeah listen we did 26 episodes of harlem heroes uh, come back come you... back a couple days later and we'll finish <laughs> yeah well maybe you should stop eating candy buddy that's what i'm saying you wouldn't need multiple root canals um, listen man, anyway you will not judge me for my twizzlers input and anyway please let us continue speaking of sweet sweet endings fox let's go to thrill three hooligans haircut i mean i feel like there was a hole in your joke mm. but i'm willing to uh you know if you're a kiss me kate type we can make up whoa script real about peter billigan art about jamie hewlett letting go about tom frame hooligan and scarlet hooligan of course with this crazy haircut with a hole in it they've been transported onto the stage of a smash west end musical we later learn it's called starlight depressed there's some reasonable slander about Andrew Lloyd Webber here and just generally how that musicals are lame. And then the whole play starts to collapse. So uh, I this is my this is one of the few interjections that I'll do here. Okay. This is what really hooked me. Let's face it, haircut. The world doesn't like you. The world yeah. thinks you suck. The world is sick of you. Uh you kind of make it want to throw up. Yep. <laughs> it is it is the best line of dialogue. Uh, I mean, maybe in the ever that I have read in a comic book. It's like, nah, nah. everything that's happening is because uh, the world doesn't like you. But also the best way that I can say is that you suck based on the world's opinion. <laughs> it makes it well, yeah. vomit. And the then a chandelier of- drops down and he's like, well, don't you think it's maybe just playing hard to get? Nah, I think it just really hates you. But you know what? I like you. And then they kiss, but in like the most uh, stage-based kind of like smooch. Oh, it's just a nice little I, smooch, buddy. Come I on. think it was. I think it was super cute, and it is this whole thing that he talks about through the whole thing. Like, like if they is, started like like uvula fencing here, I don't think I would have liked that. Oh as no, much, I, I wouldn't have say. liked it at all. I actually thought that it was the. It was the coolest way to show it. And then I noticed, and this is just the last thing, and I promise I'll let you go after this. No, go ahead. Any, any perspective shot of them is them doing the most minimalist possible to show that they are their characters, which is quite literally for him, just him with his hair, almost looking directly at wherever the camera is with just two dots for eyes and a dumb mouth. <laughs> <laughs> and them just looking super flat like i love uh, everything building up to this point i was like well i don't really get it but i kind of i enjoy it because there's substance now it's like it's fully into its own joke and especially 
just the whole through line of things. It was uh, fun. But I'll I'll let you explain yeah, the rest. That that was what I wanted to say. It's beautiful. Everyone should read Hooligan's Haircut. Yeah, it's it's definitely a really fun story. I think. Um, yeah. So they kiss. Hooligan's feeling very good about himself all of a sudden because of it. But then the world gets interference from enigmatic '60s cult television. Oh, oh no! Oh my god! It's the flying circus. How did it get here? Well, suddenly they're at a very mixed media section of uh, the prisoner. I think. Um, I don't know as that. They, the show The Prisoner? Mm-mm. I mean, I think, honestly, Fox, the, the collective wail we just heard was everybody who's, was all the, everyone who's listening saying like, you haven't seen The Prisoner? Ah, oh, it's a really good show. It's from the, from the 60s. It's got, uh, James McGowan and it's a real, like, mind bending, um, surreal stuff. I think it's right up your alley. You should check it out. Oh, that's super cool. I'm into like, it. And, uh, and such a such a part of the weird shit canon that like I don't even have a prepared description can, of it because I assumed you, you'd seen you it already. Can you make a note to poke me about it after the show? Because yeah. I thought it was a flying circus reference. No, no. All of this stuff, all of the sections we're in here right now is uh, is a prisoner references. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm into this like collage insanity. Yeah, I mean it's not quite like that, but it is a real. It's a it's a seminal television show, I would say. Um, anyway, so um, they are hanging out here again. A lot of prisoner references. They get hit by a version of Rover that has a Butlins Camp logo on it. Um, I I can't explain what Rover is in the course of of this podcast, Fox. But basically, there's a big ball that kind of attacks people in the show. It's crazy. It's much okay. scarier in context. This so kid like looks a, like a big Takeshi's castle kind of thing. Not or? really. Um, and, but okay. in this case, look, it, it looks like a big beach ball. So it's sort of a other okay. kind of thing. I mean, um, they basically have an orgasm inside of it. I'm good with that. A little bit that kind of gets smooshed around and and uh, bounced <laughs> about. Eventually, being they arrive in a Stevenage New Town, which is a section of London. Scarlet says they should uh, get they should find out why the world's so out of tune and why it hates hooligans so much, and uses her power of coincidenting to find a travel agent. This is my favorite superpower, Conrad, and I know it's been used in other comics since, or even maybe prior. Where it's just kind of you go through things and you kind of need something to happen, but it's all by coincidence, um, whether the character likes it or not. I love that she's just like, nah, dude, you just kind of embrace your fucking frequency. Like the whole way that she's talking about it, she's like, nah, man, you're just in a different tune that's fucking things up. Like, yeah, I'd say the uh, the character Longshot in the X-Men had a very similar kind of situation. Also, moderately similar hair to Scarlet as well. Um, but so, <laughs> they sort of look through places to go. It's a lot of brochures for just random sea- in- English seaside towns. And she's pushing like, hey, it'll be a coincidence when we find something. What do you think about this or this? Yeah. Suddenly... And then- Hooligan sees the big faces with the big foreheads that used to talk to him when he was insane. They look just like the heads on Easter Island. Coincidence? Mm. Or superpower? Just the picture of him is freaking out, Hooligan. So mm. the obvious choice is to go to Easter Island. Let's snag a bus. I, I See, that's the thing. Is like, uh, So even previous to this, uh, she had already sort of explained his powers as like, 
you're on this such a like long wave frequency to the planet. The planet is effectively rejecting you mm-hmm. for this reality. Like the way that they explain it doesn't make sense if someone else explains it. But yeah, within no, it's just, the context, it, it's just super cool. And she's like, no, nah, man, of course we're going to take a bus. Yeah, it's just all dream logic pretty much. Um, yeah, because you're, you're kind of creating the way for us to do this. And let's see a happy sun shoot us into the ocean and away on the waves yeah. and a double-decker. Totally. Yeah, the bus has an ad for the XTC album Skylarking, which is a really good one if you're into that sort of thing. Um, they're headed out over the sea on this <laughs> bus. Um, seems better not to mention that that doesn't work. I like that as they're driving, they're wearing disguises as they go, though they change oh. from panel to panel, various mustaches, silly glasses, and deedly boppers. The um, way I felt about that was like, because the world was just weird, they kept changing, but actually mm-hmm. that makes a bit more sense that they're trying to weirdly hide well, from yeah, the teeth I mean, monsters. I mean, the world keeps changing because of the surrealness, but the basic idea of them wearing disguises is sort of like, that's why they're wearing disguises in the first place. And then the world being out of tune is why they change constantly. Basically, mm. um, Suddenly the air force has found them. And again, we see these jets with angry mouths coming after them. The bus driver is a skeleton, and this is sort of seems like a London skeleton crew. Seems like it might be a joke to current events that I'm not sure I get based on 1990 things. Sure um, feels like they're saying something about uh, bus stuff. Well, and because I know there are some current events jokes going on in this thing as well. Um, <sighs> but jets, yeah, so Scarlet takes the wheel, pulls out a pistol, shoots down one of the jets. <laughs> She's ready to smooch again, again, but they better keep going. The bus has been torn apart. They got to swim their way there. Hooligan can't really swim, but luckily things are surreal enough that that's not that big a deal as warplanes with deadly bombs circle them overhead. Coincidental that they end up at a island that they were trying to go to. Surreal enough that all of the bombs are flying and that one of the bombs, and I love this bomb has a like those old spherical bombs with the fuse on it on its back while it also has a kind of robot arm aiming a smaller missile and it's all just one missile like a lot of things yeah everything's got got to go on at once you know um so they arrive but the uh the the uh, big heads seem to still be sleeping it's pretty bad um <laughs> suddenly all the bombs are dropped but the nukes just turn into giant mushrooms with with little uh with radioactive little nuke symbols, symbols on top, on top. yeah definitely yeah. that was so adorable <laughs> i love it then one of the heads awakens it says they should step into his mouth to avoid the bombs and hooligan notices that emblazoned right between the its stone eyes is the shape of his crazy ass haircut Yo, bro, let's do a Pinocchio and get in my mouth. Or yeah. uh, Aquaman, if you're into that movie. Stuff. Yeah. The haircut is on the head's face. What does it mean? Step into my mouth and learn the answers, the mouth says. But Scarlet's not here, man. This this helmet or this uh, th- this head this head feels like a perf to me, buddy. Let's get out of here. Bro, <laughs> I took a bunch of alpha brain and I am ready to transcend you across moral planes to where the liberal agenda will not attack you. More of a super male vitality, man, myself. <laughs> um, no, anyway. Sorry. 
Seems like the world in general is really starting to just kind of disappear and completely come apart at the scene, so that's pretty bad, too. And uh-huh. hooligans are urging. They step into the head, making out as they do. Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, if you're going to go into a man's kisser, you might as well kiss her. Mm, they fall a long Rimshaw. time. They're falling in love again. What am I <laughs> this, to do? You actually, you're right. This is uh, where you kind of do a, a Moulin Rouge situation where it's like it opens the mouth help. while there's. Oh, it. Conrad. And I was going to say. Falling in hair with you. Yeah. Oh, man. I, now you're going to get uh, uh, UB40 out here, buddy. Oh. <laughs> you know, we really do need to write our 2080. Uh, whimsical musical. Definitely. I'm ready. Um, but so, okay. <laughs> There's a lot of heads and they're going to talk to you. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So they fall again. Marlena, Marlena D- Dietrich style as you do. And they clunk <laughs> down onto, uh, gl- onto glowing blue sand and a field full of stone heads. They're in between dimensions in this blue limbo land of the zonal frequency modulators, a.k.a. Easter Island heads. They're All right. We didn't need to, to get out. fucking yeah. like TNG about it. Listen, this part's very much like the like when you've got one of those weird, crazy animes and you don't really and the whole fun is that you don't know what's going on. And you get to that second to last episode and they tell you what's going on and it's very complicated, but there is a reason for it. And you're like, ah, that's OK, I guess. I kind of liked it. When I just didn't know. But anyway, I mean, you could just say Akira. I mean, honestly, I'm like, I'm thinking of like a lot of, a lot of animes, actually. Um, I mean, any of them. But um, listen, the shape of Hooligan's haircut is the symbol to turn off the frequency modulators. It's just a coincidence. I forgot that it's the magic key that says, please just turn off reality within this plane. Yeah. Because that's how this this fucking comic works. Luckily, it doesn't work in the blue zone. You know, come on. Um, but basically, he's got to return to Earth to put things right without the haircut. But Scarlet isn't feeling that, man. She wants, she's never felt really in tune with the world. She wants to go explore some other dimensions. Maybe she'll find one she likes. Hoogan wants to come with her, but if he does, it'll destroy their home reality forever, and that's not cool. So in the end, there's no choice, and it's a bummer. I mean, I, I feel like there definitely was one, which was kind of, I mean, that one's done, you know? Well, I mean, we'll see. You know, the two of them tearfully embrace, and then they cut off most of Hooligan's hair, uh, Hooligan's hair. Crying as he goes, Hooligan steps through the through the head's mouth and doesn't care where he ends up because he's not with Scarlet. Crying as he goes, crying as he goes, <laughs> through the eastern mouth, oh, how he grows. Too Black much Black and white pictures, how we will show. Whoa. Hugan falls through reality, wondering what will become of his love, Scarlet O'Gas Meter. Could she fall in love with an alien Tarzan or an alien Sasha Distel, who's a French singer? It's driving him mad. He's had enough of women. And I love, I know that maybe they chose not to put it in color, but I hope that the artists chose no, if that makes obviously. sense obviously yeah they tr- yeah obviously yeah. he climbs out of the head and it's black and white it's just a full wizard of oz kind of situation i i really I mean, yeah i mean we, we we saw this at the start where it was black and white when he was in the mental institution mm. and then went color when he stepped out you know 
I I love it. It's it's a very uh um uh, what am I thinking of? That old movie. Uh, Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, Wizard of Oz. Thank you. No problem. Uh, yeah. So um yeah, he steps out of the head into Trafalgar Square. It's black and white. He leaves the head as it just prepares to just kind of live the rest of his life there in the square. Like you'll never. You'll just always remember that there's always been a, Ma- a big Maori head in the middle of Trafalgar Square, buddy. It's good times. <laughs> um, Hugan finds himself on the streets of London with nothing to his name, but suddenly he sees it. Someone else with his haircut. A no good punk. He's got to fuck it up, man. <laughs> yeah, he goes to him and tries to get rid of it. Like he like kind of rips at the hair. and He's like, oh, you got to not have that haircut anymore, buddy. Um, I mean, it turns he, into a- he leaves him bald. So yeah. It turns into a big fight, and in the end, he does pull the hair off, but the cops arrest him and put him and take him away. And soon he's back in the mental hospital where apparently he's – that's like he's been narrating this story the whole time, and he's been telling it <laughs> to the doctors at the mental hospital. What I love and, is that they could have yeah. ended it here, but instead they just made it the best. Yeah. They don't believe him, so soon he's back in a padded cell and things are looking bad until the padded wall starts to swell and turn red and then turns into a giant face. It's one of the giant heads with Scarlet inside. Come run with me across the multiverses. And he's like, well, am I actually crazy or is this really happening? And she's like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. She couldn't leave Hooligan behind. So now they're going to go travel the realities and find one that they're truly in tune with. It'll be fun. They kiss as the head closes his mouth. The end of of Hooligan's haircut. I love the end of this. I love the all of it. Um, I definitely feel like kind of the second and the third act pan out a lot better than kind of the initial. Just because you don't know what to expect when we first started reading. Um... I am so happy about how it ended, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it's a very nice, like, you know, this is kind of a, a sweet love story ending, I guess. I, I uh, for me personally, I like it because it, especially how they talk about it, they're like, okay, well, if you're actually crazy or if you're not, who gives a shit? <laughs> if that makes sense, like, that's yeah. kind of the, the levity that they, they bring to it. It's like, maybe you are. But what's more important is the imagination or the... The experience of it, which I think is uh, for this time in the comics uh, with so much that uh, I mean, there are good stuff kind of bookended into what we're reading. Like this is such Mm -hmm. a treat, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I think like this story is really different from anything else we're getting in here. And I really just like that. It's this um, like fun, surreal romp that's about sort of two people falling in love and dealing, you know, and sort of. Like where, um, you know, not having the 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 tightest grip on reality is more of a positive thing than a negative one. It, I it's guess. literally the least important thing is having a grip on reality, and more of like, yeah, we're gonna make some cool art and say some dumb, funny stuff, but not not so vapid as other things that we have read. No, I mean, uh, I, I just, you know, names, I like to where, imagine where it still didn't feel just, like it um, went anywhere. Sorry, please. Yeah. I was just going to say, I like to imagine still just like Hooligan and um, and Scarlet out there among the reality sort of oh, doing crazy exactly stuff. that's exactly you know? what I want. <laughs> that is exactly yeah. where my mind is. I, I just like that it it its insanity has, has sort of a point while also being pointless. 
Uh, Whereas other things that we have read have been pointless for the sake of like being difficult, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I think this is sort this is definitely a a kind of story that I don't think we've seen a ton of in 2000 Mm -hmm. AD. Um, We'll see a little bit. Actually, I think maybe more in the magazine than in in um, in the in the Prague. I think like straight jacket fits and stuff is a Meg story, but we'll see. I'll definitely Mm -hmm. be there for it. I like this kind of thing. Um, and I like this story too. Um, That's definitely yeah, so, it's definitely a good trio that keeps this thing together that I like a lot. Yeah, no, I, I I like this team for or, sure. Or I guess sad. like four people. No, what do you mean? Uh, sorry, I I don't know if if other people worked on it. I'm saying three, like I Milligan, mean, Hewlett, yeah, and Frame and yeah, Frame, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah those three, yeah. Um, but yeah, so just so you know, this is sadly Jamie Hewitt's uh, last work in 2000 AD, but he's on to much better things. Don't worry about him. Um, meanwhile, Peter Milligan will be back writing stuff in March of 1991. Mm. We got some more Bix Barton. Good times. Oh, I'm st- – all right. I'm excited for that actually. I'm pretty excited too actually. I like that series and this one's going to have a lot of stuff that I feel like I've got a better grasp of now than I did the first time I read it. So that's really good. And hey, speaking of having a uh, grasp on things, Fox. Oh. Let's talk about how we're holding on to these progs in general with non-thrills, covers, and nerve centers. Oh, neat. I, it's weird because they're in the back now. So I, I, it's, it's, I well, like yeah. that they're still in the middle just as a refreshing taste. I wasn't sure how we'd handle them given their new placement. I mean, and I'm excited. Yeah, I, I like, like it as kind of yeah, a wi- middle point. Yeah, with the new editorial style, it is very much that, you know, we're, I mean, I'm going to treat them the same, basically, um, because now we're just sort of putting them in the middle um, to kind of, even though sort of the, the editorials at the start and the letters are at the end, so like bookends. Um, but in this case, I just like them in the middle just because I definitely don't want to start the show. Mm. with with covers and um and letters and stuff no i mean it's an anthology let's start with the stories yeah and i I don't want to end them either just because i kind of do want i do want to discuss them and i don't want to just be like all right like they've got the last section let's just turn this podcast off it's funny because like uh, the first time i had ever read like a a comment section of a comic book my buddy had the Sonic comic books, which I believe were being published through the like Archie kind of group at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember all of their fan letters being at the front, but they eventually moved to the back. Um, yeah, I, th- I think and that's then, the, and they the just moved away spot. eventually. Like I, it when they're not at the front, I feel like it's such a weird thing, you know, because kind of when you open oh, it really? up, it's sort of. The, I mean, I, I I like it at the front, weirdly enough. Because for me, like, I mean, whenever I've read comics, the letters are always in the uh, in the back of the comic. Like, that's sort of the mm. standard spot for me, honestly. Mm. Um, I, 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 yeah. it, within within the context of, of 2000 AD, I like it in terms of this concept of kind of this television presenter or this presenter entity kind of gets the bureaucracy out of the way first. You, know, you kind of come in, you... You read some stuff or you look at some things and then you go on to the show, right? Yeah. With some breaks in between. Well, I mean, that's that's very much what we have now, like this new for, uh, uh, format with much longer editorial sections mm. and interviews and stuff like that. They're yeah, sort definitely. of just doing this business here and then they'll have letters in the back. And I'll say nowadays, 
the they keep the same format, although the uh, the input section with letters is a much more occasional feature of 2000. Yeah, AD. Sh- they don't have it every time. Yeah, I mean it's shrinking in a lot of comic books, from what I understand. I mean, I think a lot of that's just sort of overall comics readership and stuff. I I couldn't specifically yeah, yeah. say. Well, it's also going online, right? Yeah. So yeah, there's also more yeah. ways to talk back directly as opposed to just writing letters. And okay, so here we go. Anyway, Prog Seven O Four, still the galaxy's greatest, as Cliff Robinson draws Dread shooting off the featuring Judge Dread tag from the 2080 logo. And there's a uh, a, a little blurb about the uh, Eagle Award winning about winning the Eagle Award in the top right corner. I mean, I definitely feel like they they walk away <laughs> every year, at least one. Pretty much, yeah. In the Nerve Center, Tharg talks about um, a random printing error for the scan cards in Prague 700, while Igroid uh, both tells readers that they do not sell back issues and then talks a lot about the 1990 <laughs> Eagle Awards. Um I should tell you, Fox, the awards w- weren't held in 1989, and that these are the last Eagle Awards until 1997. Whoa, um, really? Yeah. Yep. 2000 AD swept the British section of it, with the exception of a Speakeasy magazine for f- favorite specialist comic publication and fave new comic, which was a bogeyman, which was actually written by like Alan Grant and John Wagner with art by Ron Smith. So I feel All like right, it's still guys. pretty close to 2018. I mean, that's approximately that. So, so the Eagle Awards, I mean, uh, I expected them to mostly be about comics. Are they about yeah. uh, other stuff? Because if, if no, they're uh, about comics. So if 2018 swept they everything, then, they then what are the other awards? Well, I mean, they do – they have an American section and a British section. Ah, and 2080 ah. does really good on the British section, of course. But well, you the, have to give the colonies um, something, right? Well, I mean, and just because there's a big – you know, at this point, there's a big growing American comic scene. Although it, it's always been like that, actually. The Eagles have always been – like they're for English language comics, basically. And so they have ah. a British section and they have a more conventional American section on superhero comics, etc. On the American side, uh, Neil Gaiman, one favorite writer – Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol and Arkham Asylum comics got awards, mm. as did uh, Screamer, which is by Peter Milligan, Brett Ewan, Steve Dillon, and Tom Frame. So, what did Neil Gaiman get it for? Uh, I think he got it for Sandman still. Like, 1990s, Damn. still a very, very sandman time. Yeah, Neil Gaiman got it for Sandman. All right. Uh, um, I'm surprised. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's like in the middle of coming out right now. It's a big deal. Um yeah, so I just but I was sort of just sort of listing those just because there are even on the American side there are a lot of 2000 AD alums in there. Um, Mid Prague or sorry, uh, yeah, Mid Prague. There's ads for the Rogue Trooper Annual and the Dread Future Crime Collection. There's I love also these another color thing- pages for them too. They're they're beautiful. Yeah, these color um, ad pages. Mm. There's also an ad for another thing to look forward to by Mick Austin. This time a remote control that turns your mom's head into a cow's head. I really feel like that's a dick move, but that's... It's got a lot of other ads you could do too. Uh, The input page has pictures of Judge Mr. Red and Judge Bart Simpson. Again, like between this and the Al Bundy... um, uh, hospital Ed, block in a previous so one all these pop the culture simpson. things are starting to be things that i recognize fox and i don't know if i like it uh, <laughs> the the bart simpson one is the it really displeases me if <laughs> it's just the classic bart simpson head you know um but yeah uh letters ask if slain's body was ever found remark there's a joke about how guns 
hat saying uh buddha 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 over and over again and whether that's offensive to buddhists um really and they say that uh maybe in the future midden face mcnulty's name will be bad luck so you should say the scottish mutant which is sort of a uh what you call it a macbeth reference um ah. finally there's a back there's a uh on the back cover, there's a scan card, this time for Owen Chrysler, the Judge Child. It talks mostly about uh, the events of the Judge Child comic. And then, um, what was that one? Like, Destiny's Angels, where he brought I, um, Mean and Fink back to life and stuff. I know you can't hear me smiling, but I am. It's like an ear-to-ear grin, because of the next one is also Owen Chrysler. Yeah. Next 705, a farewell to arms. Kev Hopkins draws the hero's final outing. In the (sighs) nerve center, Thark explains the artist problems that the heroes are are going through. Igroid talks about a new company fitness policy. And then more compliments for Jacob and Hopgood for stepping in to finish Harlem Heroes. There's also a star spot for baby writer Garth Ennis. He's 20 years old now and already about to start writing both Dread and Strontium Dog. And um, he's also about to start his run on Hellblazer in the States, which will be mostly with Will Simpson and Steve Dillon on art. He says he's got something really big planned, which I assume is going to be Preacher, although that won't start for six more years. But it's crazy to think of how young he is here. Preacher. Mm. Um, input has a big, uh, has a Judge Fish covered in fin pads and pouches and stuff, while, um, Judge Diet sentences a large lady for the crime of obesity. I do Letters, like Judge Fish. Pretty good here. He's got those, 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 those knee pads on the fins. That's so cute. Letters ask what an LRD is. It's a mug that people get for writing letters in. There are complaints about the lack of candy in Prague 700 because what? the Beano... Well, because the like other comics, like like the Beano they mention here, is uh, big on these anniversaries of giving out free gifts and stuff like that. Free candy just doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> I mean, not in America, but I think it was a big deal through the oh, 90s yeah. in, uh, in, in England. Oh, like, dude, I got a free Snickers bar for buying a fucking uh, Punisher uh, but that's not, thing but, from 7-Eleven. It's different, I think, because as I recall from my youth, those were like coupons in the comic. Oh, yeah. Where, whereas in England, you could buy like, – like there would literally be a thing on the Beano where they would distribute it with a bag of candy with the actual comic. No to the point shit. where there would be a thing on the cover of like – British Dennis the Menace being like, Oi, Newsy, don't forget to give the kid boy in this comic the sweets. And stuff like that. And it's just a, a bag. Of, okay, that's that's kind of cool. I it's would buy right. a comic book with candy on the that's front. What that's what they're counting on, buddy. Um, but, but 2008, he doesn't stoop to those levels. So that's why they didn't have it. Mm. Um Another letter takes Pat Mills t- to task for various historical accuracies and s- ina- inaccuracies and slaint, which I say lighten up, Francis. Mm. And a final letter sees a Jew becoming fully thargified after reading 2000 AD. <laughs> In Prague 706, Judge Dredd's cleaning up Mega City 1, one lawmaster laser cannon at a time in this Cliff <laughs> Robinson cover. I like that it's called Mega Polish. <laughs> <laughs> it's The Shining. Oh, yeah. I like this joke because Silo also premieres in this prog and sort of a very shining esque. Oh thing. yeah. 
In the nerve center, Tharg announces the start of Silo and teases the end of Hooligan's haircut. Next, Prague and the start of Junker, which we'll see next episode. Igroid uh, says that this cover is an emergency backup because the actual plan Silo cover was destroyed in the mail. Like okay. somebody, they some, they mailed it in and like folded it over basically so that it, it couldn't be used for the, uh, for the cover. Mm. Um, there's also an apology... For those um, exercising and getting chicks with pheromones ads from last episode. Oh, yeah. That one was weird, right? Yeah. And so there's just a thing saying like we didn't realize what those ads would be when we uh, when we signed up with that ad provider. They were of a lower quality than our usual standards. And so Buy we, a we won't work that with them no again. one will like in order to attract people. <laughs> oh, they'll like it. Oh, oh, oh. I <laughs> anyway, like this um, confident Conrad. Yeah, there's also a uh, an ad for uh, True Faith, which is a comic um, collection from Crisis. Midprog, there's a scan card for the mutant with all of his mutiny activities in City of the Damned. Also, Midprog, there's a two-page Christmas ad for the Commodore computer. Again, I like these um, microcomputers sort of touting I, their ability to play games. Don't buy a Sega. I I find it so interesting because the uh, like because. PCs like the Amiga or the Commodore or the C64, like they were so pervasive in the UK. And oh, yeah. yet in like at the end of this, they end it with a Game Boy ad. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, telling detail for sure. Like it's a new generation. I I love they have some they have different like packages of Commodores you can buy, and one of them really speaks up that this one comes with a mouse pad, which is pretty solid. Mm. Um there's also a half-page ad for Rage magazine and just a quarter-sized one for the concept of advertising on 2000 AD. The readership is 95% male, and they buy records, wear jeans, and drinks lots of grapefruit juice. So if you want to sell any of those, call Michael Qualter to advertise. I mean, no Sunny D, please. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, give me that light yellow stuff. Um, input has pictures of Zenith 1990 with like a sweater and a long sleeve t-shirt, kind of a pre-grunge Zenith here. And then Dark Judge Ninja Turtles, evil in a half shell. Um, letters ask about the Necronomicon. And there's some uh, very phonetic Scottish about where and whether 2000 AD is made in England. And there's then some more jokes about tea towels, basically. Uh, the prog ends with a black and white ad for the original Game Boy, which you mentioned. This dude's playing it while getting the haircut. And man, this brought back a lot of uh, Game Boy nostalgia for me. So, I mean, I guess I never saw this ad specifically. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know the Game Boy existed as a child, right? Uh, I went from the NES to the SNES, right? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, my parents got the Game Boy because they wanted us to shut the fuck up in car rides because we That's were reasonable. six hours away from my grandmother, right? And we would visit her often. Um, I never remember in my childhood ever seeing ads for it on TV or otherwise. I mean, you were, I mean, you must have been a little bit older yeah. than me. I mean, you must have been four or five when the, when the Game Boy came out in 89. Um... That's fair, because so, it came out before the SNES, which was 91, 92? Yeah. No, no. Game Boy was 89. I remember because mm -hmm. I got it that year for Christmas, and the only thing... I mean, Tetris thing, came inside the package. That was a huge thing for Nintendo. That's all, that was the only game I had, pretty uh, that in a, in a Mario Land. But I remember um, 
when I got that for Christmas, the only time I looked up to it, I looked up from it basically – my my brother and me was when we went and saw uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation in the oh theater, <laughs> and there is like a family legend about how much I laughed at that movie as like a nine year old kid. Like I mean, freaking it's a hilarious out movie. Watching National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, but those are the two jokes that like. Listen, if you wanna, if you're my cousin, you wanna give me a hard time about our Christmas stuff. You're gonna talk about how I love that Game Boy and I love that movie. But anyway, I know it's real <laughs> nice to live in the past. The only one thing that I will, uh, I uh, that I will add to this is remember that one add-on that eventually uh, some side company added where it was like a small f- flashlight with a frame. Above the and a, thing and so a magnifying which, glass, yeah, so, yeah. Listen, yeah. good times. <sighs> Frog seven oh six. Oh no, sorry, seven oh seven. I should say. Anthony Williams draws PJ maybe contemplating a new page and what I did in Necropolis. I love in this the, child. Yeah, he's good. You know, don't get too close. In the nerve center. <laughs> in the nerve center, Thorg says goodbye to Hooligan and teases the new thrill junker. Igroid mm. says Bert was recently has recently done some work over in the U.S. Peter Milligan's getting some fan mail, and there's a plug for Bob's Comic Plus apparently here in Southern California, but I can't, I couldn't find it, so it doesn't exist anymore. I guess we haven't really seen any Robo Comics recently. That's interesting. They're I mean, still yeah. even talking about Bert. I mean, very much um, the day of the. Um, of the robot, um, like 2080 Office comic has ended, which is fine, mm. I think. I will say there are actually um, in the annuals and specials um, recently. There's been a lot oh. of sketches of these because a big a big filler thing in the annuals is that they'll have these questionnaires that they just have random folks answer with like you know kind of joke jokey answers and stuff. And many of those will have caricatures of the um, of the person answering as a robot and stuff. So that you know, it still exists to this to 1990s, just less of a feature of the of of, of the prog. I do like that it's fallen by the wayside. Also, oh yeah, no, definitely not great. Um, Mid prog, there's an ad for Junker coming uh, next episode. Input has pictures of a be- of bearded ZZ judges and. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that was cute. And to Judge uh, Hooligan with that haircut, we're going to see a lot of Judge Hooligans over the years to come, I think. I feel like, why wouldn't you? Because also, it was awesome. Listen, listen there's, a, there's a meaty vein of fan fiction and just putting that haircut onto any 2000 AD character you, you, you want. Um, mm. Letters complain about Dredd's current ugly scarred face. They ask him, um, what's up with Hewlett's name? You know, is it a combination of Milligan and Hewlett? Like, whoa, you're <sighs> smart, buddy. Um, they compliment the size of the new look prog and make fun of uh, the fact that Dredd's face does seem to have mostly healed again at the end of uh, Necropolis. Right. It was just that one issue though right yeah i mean very much they went from him looking okay in the necropolis epilogue to him looking bad again in that uh judge death one with the theater of death and stuff like that i mean he's a sharp dressed man that's right diamond rings um (laughs) but he'll arrest you for any single thing buddy oh my god i i really hope someone gets what we're talking about yeah okay anyway that's right. Listen, we've spent all our time doing doing songs, Fox, all right? I'm crazy about a sharp dreads judge, but even as we make these jokes, thrill four, time flies.
Script robot Garth Ennis, art robot Philip Bond, letter robot Gordon Kid Robson. So, this time travel team, they're on a big excavator. That's their uh, time ship. It and travels through time. Yeah, they've got good. that one uh, British guy who says British things. Very British. His name's Birdie, for God's sakes. It travels through time. Very <laughs> alarming for Birdie as Trace tries to explain it. Um, it's I, I kind of like this time thing. It's a big collage of different historical things. So lots of kind of mixed media, similar to what's going on in Hooligan's haircut as well, yes. which is kind of cool. Um, it would have done think, better with a color page, I feel like. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, they're very much sort of t- stuck in these black and white ones, yeah. I think. Um, Although I do I th- like the, the character playing the saxophone right in the middle of the page after that. Yeah, well, I really think actually detail. that page might be out of order because I think it should happen after Trace ah. says what's going on, like why they're going after Goering, and then gives the names of the bad guys as Captain Watch, as Captain Whitewash and his number one Cuddy Sark, Lord High Executioner to Pierre II. Because then Bertie asks what things are like in 3584 as the bra dudes argue about getting a new bassist. And I think that's when we go back to this previous page as we learn that 3584 is pretty great. There's no war, no poverty. No one's got any power. It's just a bunch of folks chilling in hot tubs. Octopus on a bicycle. Yeah, playing sweet saxophone solos. Also, um, uh, hey, man, maybe we turned Earth into heaven or Nirvana or Asgard or yeah, it's the good, Big babe. Rock Candy Mountains. Yeah, they brought everybody back to life. Marilyn Monroe's doing duets with the Pogues or whatever, which is a very Garth Ennis thing to say. And um, she doesn't that, have to deal with the Kennedys. Oof. Yeah, good times anyway. Uh, uh, fair enough. Bertie's very skeptical about all this. The two of them have a real kind of cool kid versus stodgy old guy fight here. But... Then the um, but then the digger flies too low and crashes and then falls into darkness. Oh, that's someone, right. They for reason. I feel yeah, like exactly. Someone hits a light and they've just arrived at the department of hell. <laughs> I do like that they treat the whole thing like a bureau. Definitely, yeah. The uh, uh, Trace thinks this is all a joke. <laughs> When the gates of hell open and a business-type lady demon with little horns on her forehead walks out and gives him visitor passes to make him fill out paperwork and stuff. That's a lot I of mean, it. she is – she's super cute. I'm not Yeah, definitely. Her. Tiny horns. Solid also, demon business lady. Bef- before you get there, I, I really love that uh, the, the thing that uh, kind of gives you the tour through hell is a sarcastic but trying to be silly clown – yeah. Yeah, definitely. I should say before that, though, while they're filling out the paperwork, Trace gives her name as Salmonella O'Curry, <laughs> which I believe I... is a joke about uh, MP Edwina Curry, who was forced to resign after saying that most of egg production in England was infected by Salmonella, which led to the slaughter of four million uh, hens and got her the nickname of Eggwina in 1988. So I'll I'll go on record as saying, as an American, I thought that she was just saying Salmonella O'Curie, like we cured Salmonella. That's, That's right. A- yeah, I... I thought so too, but decided to look it up because it seemed like there might have been a deeper joke, and there was. You're <laughs> so responsible. <laughs> Just sort of a, a chicken version of mad cow disease or whatever in terms of the response and stuff. <laughs> but yeah, they get their passes and get a guided tour of hell from a fairly terrifying clown. 
They meet Gary, the man who's responsible <laughs> for all the boring things in existence. I love and, that. And those Bross guys try to recruit him to their band because he'd be perfect for them. Because Bross is very boring as well, I suppose. Um um, the uh, they tore through various specific hells, including General Kitchener getting machine gunned a bunch of times. General Kitchener from the American version of those "I Want You" posters. Um, Genghis Khan has to drink all the blood he is responsible for spilling in his life. They pass Satan, who seems to be on his way to his to, to a bowling tournament. And oh, the Hades bowling team, and then the guy right. who just is like addicted to pain, so they're trying out new stuff on him. Yeah, Fred, I mean, he absorbs most of the world's pain. If it wasn't for him, as he's getting chainsawed at the gut while a bird pecks his chest and big fun perform Luciano Pavarotti plays, we'd all be feeling, we'd all be in 10 times more pain because he absorbs so much of it. Because he's super into it. I like that they found the guy who's like, yeah, dude, like, yeah, he's a cool let's dude. Let's find it. Uh, Birdie and Trey seem pretty stunned as by all this stuff as the clown then leads the tour through the gift shop, as you do. What does this have to do with uh, time travel? The business demon says to get out, they'll have to go fast. So fast, you got to break the speed of credibility. Oh, okay. Uh, Trace is really is ready to get the hell out of hell, and Sharp gets punched for objecting to the wordplay. Meanwhile, Cap'n O White or Cap'n Whitewash and his crew are stuck on some kind of giant floating still life thing. They've gone as very, full Kachita. Yeah, as full as a young folks complain. Meanwhile, Cuddy Osark is going into business for himself, planning to steal Herman Garing for himself and marooning the captain. The captain hears this and it's time for a fight. <laughs> but watch out, Cuddy Osark has a flickofax, which is a day planner that's got a switchblade built into the spine. Fox. I, I love the idea of like a a CPA just having like a, a switchblade calculator. You know what that's I mean? Right. Listen, he cuts off like three dudes' heads with that thing. It's crazy. I mean, sharp knife. And then he opens it up and it's got these like, it's like a bear oh, trap that's on right. the inside. The claw, mouth, teeth, bear trap. Yeah. It's awesome. And he throws it right at the captain and gets out of there. Osark and Gari hop aboard a tandem bike and abscond over the fruit side. I, I love in the background, it's just the captain with his arms stretched out wide. He He's just like, like it's, you know. It hurts. Ah, oh or whatever, no. right? But it's yeah. just this book closed on his nose as he's kind of just uh, teeth tea posing. <laughs> he's having a bad day, you know? Um, I, I love this art. It's real fun. Honestly, I've really turned around. Like, now there's less Nazi stuff I've really turned around on this comic, Fox. Strong I guess I just don't like Nazi stuff. Is my, I'm just done I'm really, with it. That's something I've really learned over the course of this podcast, Fox. Not really into Nazi stuff. I guess I, I'm okay with killing them, but in a non-to-be-murdered capacity, I'm not down. I, I've been, I, I guess it's a audio medium, I have been just gently nodding this whole time, like, yeah, yeah, I'm done. Definitely. So meanwhile, the diggers on the end of a giant coiled spring, we're just going to oh, listen. Sprawling. real good. We're going we're, we're to shoot you out here at high speed. Just cut the thrust when you hit the time stream. You don't want to keep going. But Birdie asks a relevant question as they're about to uh, pull the switches. It was like, but won't we be smashed down by the incredible G-forces to let us be able to stop? Buddy, that's not my problem. And they get launched with a giant sprawl. <laughs> The digger flies at incredible speed, 
through the time stream, all the way up through the upper borders, and straight into heaven. Oh. The crew piles out in sharp worries. I think we're being used to make some incredibly biased points about religion. Oh, I say. I mean... <laughs> and then goddamn hippie Jesus appears, complete I with mean... peace sign necklace and a cross under his arm. He was already pretty much a, uh, you know, a socialist. Something. So the crew's stuck in heaven. Ah, oh, geez. Meanwhile. <laughs> that doesn't seem like the worst, honestly. Worst place to be stuck for sure. Meanwhile, Captain <laughs> Whitewash is um, stranded until some eyepatch dude manages to get the time machine working again by hitching it to a donkey. Elsewhere. What? Gert. <laughs> Yeah, listen, it's a, it's a hard time. Elsewhere, Goering asks Cuddy Osark about his past, and it seems to involve being an executioner and accidentally beheading a princess and being exiled. Sure. But he's not interested in nostalgia nearly as much as he is in just kicking Herman Goering in the stomach, which is fair. ba 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 in heaven, Sharp wants to know why Jesus isn't just fixing everything, why bad things happen to good people, etc. All it of seems his like, answers are absolutely the correct answers. It seems like he's just way too much of a hippie to really do it, buddy. It's like, and dude, accuses, just like things are, you know, whatever, man. Yeah, he accuses Sharp of, of uh, being totally not groovy. So Bertie demands to see God. He carins that he wants to see God. But listen, it seems like there is no God. And that seems to freak Bertie out quite a bit. They walk back to the digger as Jesus says that bras are terrible and he never joined their band. Then the vehicle goes back to the time stream with Jesus well, wishing them well. Next time on Time Flies, shiver me timbers. Hey, in order to do like your recompense or whatever, it's like five Bloody Marys and giving your bro a high five. Cheers, dude. Yeah, man. Be cool. Be <laughs> excellent to each other and party on. Thank you very much, Wild Stallions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exciting adventures through heaven and hell, Fox. And speaking of uh, tales of a spiritual nature. Oh. Mm, Thrill 5, Anderson, Psy Division. Shambhala. <laughs> Scripture about Alan Grant, art robot Arthur Ranson, letting robot Steve Potter, part five of Shambhala, a pre-Necropolis story. Uh, Mega City 1 is teaming up with East Meg 2 to investigate a psychic thingamajig. <laughs> On the train there, Judges Anderson and Amasov are sharing dinner in the dining car at the back of the train as the side judge asks, as the Sov judge asks Anderson about her friend Corey, because I guess it's bringing their mind. They're both telepath and stats I and stuff. I love because they, they both can read each other's minds, but he's still asking anyway. And they're yeah, also um, sharing some sham pain. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Listen, real. Yeah. Listen, champagne for my real friends and real pain for my sham friends, buddy. Wow. I also like that it's, it, you know, it, it's kind of giving Anderson like she doesn't want to just be with Dread. You know what I mean? She's got yeah. her own shit going on. Definitely. Dread's no fun for sure. Uh, Corey, yeah, we just, we sort like, just to kind of catch up again, Corey killed herself in the 89 sci-fi special, and Anderson's, at this point, is definitely still dealing with it. Luckily, size do kind of work fast for some of these things. Um, that we, the, 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 the train passes through some wreckage and skull piles. It's sort of the East Meg version of the Cursed Earth. It, it's and, kind of this foreshadowing of, like, you know, it, this is similar to your Cursed Earth, 
and it hurts us a lot to talk about it, you know? Yeah, just sort of this general sort of wreckage of people from the big they're, wars they're, and things like that. The way that all of this is being set is just this bonding with the backdrop of just these green-eyed people. <laughs> yeah, buddy. From out from them arise some of those Agarthy jerks that we saw last time with their glowing green eyes and primitive gear. The two judges, meanwhile, have removed their shoulder pads and embrace Ooh. and well, kiss, pre- well, preparing well, for more. Well, I removed my shoulder pads, baby. When they hear the Agarthy jump onto the train, elsewhere we see a cancer forming on the golden web. As a super tanker heads for a giant whirlpool, a descendant of the spiritualist Doris Stokes draws Excalibur from a stored in the stone in England, and a volcano shoots out smoke in the shape of the Chinese ideogram for oppression. In the ruins of Delhi, construction of a new Tower of Babel has begun out of human corpses. God, as the that's spirits- so terrifying. Yeah. As the spirit of several rock and roll legends played at Paris bomb sites and the Shroud of Turin weeps blood. I, the web I, is split. Can the center hold as the Agarthy run onto the roof I, of the train? It's just like all the examples they gave. It's like, oh, you know, this is weird or this is bad or why is a Japanese volcano shooting out a, a Chinese symbol for reasons? Uh, and then you just flip to the next page and it's like, oh, yeah. And also there's just this giant cult. And when you first look at their like vertical slice image, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's just a bunch of people standing like waiting. Oh, no, that's vertical. Yeah, no, it's this crazy mix. Like, I love all these signs and portents because there's a real mix of like big disasters and um, silly things and, like, sort of big, like, sort of um, Im- Im- implication things or something like that. I, well, it's and then they suddenly fun. throw in something where it's like, oh, holy shit. Like, <laughs> a Tower yeah. of Corpses as the Tower of Babel. Absolutely. It's, just, it's it's interesting, like, this deeper thing that's going on. Anyway. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the credits page for the next section has a bunch of Zenner cards, which I think I know mostly, Fox, from... Uh, from the first Ghostbusters movie when Bill Murray was doing that psychic experiment yeah. and zapping that guy for not being able to to telepath well, the shapes on the cards. Yeah, no, I I so I I had felt the same exact thing. Like the first moment that I looked at it I was like this is the opening page and then suddenly I was like wait, I've seen these before. Yeah. And then I immediately went to to Ghostbusters 1. My favorite <laughs> thing about this is they they don't say anything about it they just show them i.e like you know yeah well people have seen ghostbusters and i think they were ubiquitous enough but i love the hammer and sickle red card yeah in the middle middle. yeah well it's because i um these cards were also like the reason why they were used in ghostbusters was because they were part of this now discredited study about uh telepathy and stuff like that so oh that kind of um what was that magician's name who defunct a bunch of people. I don't, I don't think it, Randy yeah, or whatever. I, I don't think it was an amazing Randy thing, but it was sort of just this big study, big thing 
that was sort of initially might have shown ESP things, but then there was sort of what there was a debunking thing about it. Um, but sort of they were used for that, so they become like if you're so this, you know, I'm I I should, certainly wouldn't doubt that it's Ghostbusters based, but it's also it's just kind of like we just want to toss some psychic stuff up. Well, I mean, there. The, the big hubbub, just to be clear, was that people would get grants or at least some amount of money from like a university towards this. And a bunch of the other professors were like, what the fuck, man, you're putting it towards this thing. Uh, and the answer was always that, okay, we haven't proven it yet. Uh, like, ultimately, that was its death now. Was just it was using kind of grant cash. Sure. Uh, yeah, and, I know. And siphoning it away from from professors that could have used it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's ups and downs. But yeah, so, um, yeah, Zenner cars with the hammer and sickle. So these two psychics... Um, Asimov and Anderson move as one, guns, guns drawn. They climb to the roof of the train and have a the pretty sweet part of a roof. train fight. Yeah, roof, uh, train roof fight here. It's pretty awesome. They go after these Agarthy. They drop one with two simultaneous shots to the chest. Another one gets hit by an incendiary round and sort of falls down into the car below. Um, and there's like folks shouting and rushing about it that I guess is like, you know, for God's God sake damn. or something like that. Yeah. It literally translates to hell, take it, according to Google Translate. <laughs> but the last one makes it to the engine as Amasov almost falls. In the in the um in the engine of the train, it speeds oh, the train right. up. He like just it, murders some dudes and then just knows how to speed a train up, even though he's an underground yeah. person. Kills some dudes, hits the throttle as the pro as the train approaches a bridge that you have to go slow over. The two Super of them are not good to be on top of a train when it decides to go up whatever three notches. Absolutely. But listen, these psychics have it under control. The two of them act as one. Cassandra shoots down to decouple the rest of the train from the engine as Amasov jumps down into the body of the train itself to hit the emergency brakes. So the part of this, like even building up to it, was they were talking about how they could kind of read each other or think as one. But as soon as shit got real, it was like thinking as one. And then they started trading off thoughts. Because yeah, we're definitely one person was this. thinking one thing, but the other person knew it. Like they're just reacting and working with each other, kind of naturally. Which was yeah, we're this, seeing this this instantaneous uh, psychic connection that they have. Absolutely, yeah, it, um, it's just really neat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's a really great image of the tr of the engine hitting this bridge and then the bridge collapsing down around them and stuff like that. I love that kind of thing. But the train itself, the rest of the cars stop just in front of the gap. So they've just made it and survived. Good train. Good train fight here, Fox. Right? I love this kind of stuff. It, it's always sexy to see the, the engine fall off. But, you know, you have your hero kind of perched at the end where we didn't fall off. Kind of, yeah. you know, it was just it was a good shot. All of the art in this is spectacular in terms of the spectacle and the coupling with um, yeah, amazing, amazing, in, both in, a, in another word. Yeah, amazing emotional and action art from uh, from Ranson here. Yeah, like what so I love is that the script isn't just words. The script is like describing, and I feel yeah. like the writers and the artists really nailed it. Definitely, yeah. Writer, just singular. Oh, sorry, excuse one. me. Sorry. Um, 
Zenner cards again, this time with a woman's eye for the third part of this episode. Uh, the survivors of the train survey the damage. It certainly seems like there's something going on for this expedition just based on what they've done, to, of what the uh, Agarthi have done to try to stop it. But it might end here, except luckily, Professor Lychenko planned ahead. And they've <laughs> got, got a hover kit. No device. Oh, that's brave right. Brave the snow. They secreted away some some things, which then yeah, suddenly the the not KGB is like, "Hey, you weren't supposed to do that." Maybe. Yeah, the East Meg judges providing muscle aren't into this kind of thing. That equipment wasn't declared. No one leaves, at least until Lychenko pulls out a medallion and puts the mind whammy on them. And now they're free of their minders, and everybody's ready to go sci-fi cross-country skiing or something. I mean, listen. No snowshoes, all I guess. Ju- so they're they're basically the the anti grab parachutes, right? Yeah, they're sort of. It's what it seems like is you put on a harness, and that harness is attached to some sort of like pole or rod or something, yeah. and then that sort of. It's like if you had like a helicopter backpack, but if the rod, oh, if the if the blade of the helicopter was just I'm, stationary, basically. I'm just seeing the last picture, and I didn't notice it. As like you see these four black figures kind of in the air, flying over a mountain while these people dig snow. Yeah. And you're definitely right. It is just a helicopter backpack. And also, I love that they inspector gadgeted this situation. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, not that not that helicopter backpacks are actual things, but I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. I mean, I we all want rocket boots, jetpacks, and helicopter backpacks to be a thing. Yeah, but so as they head out, it seems like uh, Lychenko and Professor Rickard from uh, Mega City One seem to be flirting as well as uh, Amosov and Anderson here. They definitely Um, kind of get each other's vibe, right? They're yeah, complimenting. It's it's history, but also well, listen, Fox. I'm not saying don't fall in love. I'm just saying that if you suddenly usually don't fall in love and you start doing it as the world around you is being deeply affected by crazy psychic phenomenon, uh, you know, question things a little bit. You know, I don't know. Um, anyway, the crew <laughs> floats their way up into the Himalayas, stopping periodically basically to get extra oxygen and stuff because they're sort of dealing with like the reverse bends or whatever as they sort of fly up. Into, <laughs> but suddenly uh, they're pixels on a into space, maybe China radar. Well, yeah, I mean, that's how it goes. They've made it up there. It's the roof of the world, as the Tibetans theoretically call the Himalayas. Um, we've got some more amazing landscape art by Ranson here. He's doing really awesomely. But soon, the crew is picked up by radar, and Chinese troops are mobilized. Uh, the officer says, uh, a warm welcome, friends from all over the world, in Chinese, which I believe to be sarcastic. And, um... Anderson senses them and the crew dives down as troops open fire. A shot I, connects with Lychenko's hover stick. She's going to fall. Oh, we all know what's going to happen here. Also, I love the like overly complicated sight that they have on their guns. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's got some ranging things or something like that. But yeah, it's just like um, a bunch of screws and knobs that aren't necessary. And then it's just a big fucking plate as opposed to, I don't know, a scope. Yeah. To make it look more futuristic, I like it a lot. It it Definitely. feels it feels like replaceable machinery, if that makes sense. So I really I yeah, I, sure. I enjoyed it. Anyway, yeah. Uh, final part: Anderson's back in full gear, jogging through some three D tessellations in this credit page. And meanwhile, in the comic, Amosov dives to grab Lychenko as Mikhail. Anderson. 
<laughs> as Anderson shoots into the Chinese troops. The Russians are having, are, are having some trouble. So Anderson basically just shoots like the, the, um, mountain above these guys and just drops the, uh, drops the ceiling on top of them. Never have your shoot passage above a place where you can have big snow drop. Also, Chinese pigs. I'm not into that. Mm. Um, the crew retreats to safety. They land and continue on foot. They're looking for this monastery with an unpronounceable name. Anderson's feeling a bit bad about killing those soldiers, reflecting on Corey's last words about, like, mm. not doing ugly things with special gifts, etc. They're five miles up, on their own, making their way through a dark cave as the world burns around them. But at the very least, they seem to have made it as they arrive at the huge building of a monastery looming before them with golden roofs and looking very cool. Yeah, they, they kind of hit, like, it's almost like steps, because it's the... It's like lower climate than the actual snow. Yeah, like, it's one of these. I, it's one of these like mountainside Tibetan monasteries where like the whole thing's built right into the side of the mountain and stuff. Well, with with a couple of the shots that they had of like the profile shots of like the mountains that are dry. There's so much mm-hmm. detail put into them that it makes me kind of feel like maybe they are an actual like mountain in the Himalayas that would have been covered in ice. You know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, like maybe. There's, just, there's some detail stuff, but also, you know, I mean, if you're going to go learn the super art of Kung Fu Ninja shit, you might as well go to Ra's al Ghul's super awesome temple. See, Sorry, this is... Ra's al Ghul. See, this is, this is less Ra's al Ghul to me, buddy, than it is finally Stephen Strange finds the sanctuary of the Ancient One. You know what I'm talking about? I mean... You know, we're going to have some delicious mushroom tea after I punch you into infinity. It's all good. See, that's that's movie Doctor Strange, but I know. talked about this. It's anyway, um, the olds are hugging, but Cass is, uh, is trepidatious about this. Like, I wonder who lives there anyway. It's a good <laughs> Next, question. Definitely a good question. Next time on Anderson Side Division, heroes and darrows. Don't know what darrows means, but man, oh man, I'm enjoying this. It is a term for people that live underground. Really? Yep. And possibly, I believe it's Australian and it might have some derogatory um, connotations as well. I mean, the fact that it is a short word to say immediately leans me towards derogatory. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm super enjoying this. It's, it, it is, while action-packed, uh and it's not softly emotional it's like their connection feels real based on elements of the world if that makes sense hmm. does that make uh, yeah. like because they are psychic and they can kind of it's kind of a deanna troy but a not bad deanna troy episode if that makes sense <laughs> sure well yeah i mean that's very much what anderson is generally um that like, like that sort of same like character who's got these psychic you know with the psychic abilities and stuff and that 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 becomes a big part of the story. Mm. I I just really like the interplay between her and Mikhail. Yeah, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, and because uh, I cannot remember the name of the two doctors, uh, but... Rickard and Lychenko. Yeah, so their past because early in the comic he referenced her as a contact. But when you first see them meet up for the first time, they're being super friendly and excited and happy to see each other. And mm-hmm. after that, it's just a banter and witticisms and comfort. 
you know? And it's either that this is how things will be and have always been, right? These kind of secret um, friendships in a way. Or mm-hmm. um, there is kind of this changing of the guard in a way that might differ from the past. And like, regardless of how it goes, it's a very, like it, it kept me so invested, so much more invested than say like Dread. Dread was fantastic. Anyway. I, like it was just really enjoyable for me. This was such a evocative set for me to read, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I, like I really like this story. It's got a very cinematic feel, and I love these. And I think these these characters are really cool. I'm interested to see, you know, what they're going to do together and stuff like that for sure. Because we haven't met Mikhail before, right? Nope. Well, all these. It- I mean, we've never seen East Meg two. Period. So these are all very new. That that side of it's all very new at this point. Yeah, that's what kind of caught me off guard because when they first met, they were like, well, they felt, felt that like they, they felt that connection exactly. over over the uh, the uh, first Agarthi attacks or whatever. They kind of felt each other through that golden web, buddy. But we'll mm. learn more about it as time goes forward. I think. <laughs> cool, but yeah. Hey, and speaking of uh, co-workers with mysterious connections, Fox. Mm. <laughs> Let's do oh, Thrill no. Six Silo. Man, I feel like there are some people at work who I know who are like this from all of my job experiences, but <laughs> they. But then I also didn't have Shining. Yeah, no, rare goes full Shining. Also, uh, see Doctor Sleep. Everyone mm. should see Doctor Sleep. Script robot Mark Miller, art robot Dave DeAntiki, letter robot Annie Parkhouse. First full series by Mark Miller and for uh, DeAntiki as well, I believe. How long Both does it been, run? Uh, like, I think we might finish it either next episode or the episode after that, I think. Cool. Because I actually too... like this. And I like go... kind of the old look to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't go too long. Um um, yeah, they both are doing future shocks and stuff like that. So this is their first full series here. Mm. At, a, at the U.S. Air Force Base, um, Thunderhead in Scotland, it's raining hard at the gate as the narrator is happy they're running about 20 minutes late because it'll inconvenience some dude named Frank. Yeah, uh, being dicks to the to the late night crew. Yeah, two men pass various guards as they chit-chat about picking up girls, etc. We see them go over out, out over CCTV and folks are watching them. They're like, I swear they're late on purpose and it seems like they are. Um, the two men... Walk the corridors, the non-narrators named uh, Jim Jim Corrigan, and the two of them are old friends, but this is the last time they'll be on silo duty together. And suddenly next... we go into an episode of 24. Tick. Well, yeah. Tick. Sorry, sorry. N- sorry. Uh, next week the base will be just, uh, disassembled or dismantled, it seems like. Um, the two men, Jim and Ted, sit idly at their desks, just sort of start having random thoughts and stuff like that. They kind of think idly. Like, it's basically, they work at this missile silo, you know, where a nuke would be launched if it came to that, but now the Cold War is over and they're sort of being taken apart, essentially. Right. It's it's basically just being there for being there's sake. Yeah. Um, mm. Ted asks if Jim would actually fire a missile if ordered to do so. And behind him, Jim... <laughs> Idly aims a gun at Ted and sort of asks, oh, would you, if I didn't, would you kill me? Kind of a and Boardwalk Empire Al Capone feel to it, if that makes sense. <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of references here. But yeah, I think so. Um, Jim says he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't, man. Who would, I, who would I go on holiday with if I killed you? Come on. <laughs> 
Ted seems dissatisfied over the Cold War, that their job is being over, they're sort of finished. There's a lot of general conversation as they waste time, and Jim just keeps typing on a typewriter, basically. Um, Ted, Jim leaves to go do something, and Ted goes to go look at what he's writing. And when, and when he does, it's just line after line of black snow will fall forever written in cap. Pages and pages of it. This is where it lost me a bit. You know what I mean? I don't know. I thought this was kind of cool. I, I mean, it's I like obviously homage, if it's obviously sense. a reference to The Shining, but I still think that that idea is a very frightening one. Just sort I, of someone who's having a standard conversation, then you see they're writing something totally insane. Like that's sort of a I of agree. A, of an eaten mood. I I think that uh, as you go into seven oh seven, it really helps build that a bit more. Yeah, if, I mean, I when I first saw that, I was like, oh, okay, I get it, and. Yeah, I, I still like this. I actually like Seinfeld. Yeah, I mean, it's, Please. Yeah, it's, it's, it's built to be a cliffhanger. So it's sort of one thing mm-hmm. builds onto the other, you know. Um, so Jim, Jim Corrigan's narrating now. He, we watch men bury a dead body in a shallow grave as cold rain falls. <laughs> He's, his perspective of this is everyone involved. The men burying the body, mm-hmm. the horses that pulled the cart here, the headless corpse that's being buried itself, all of it. When suddenly a man named Edward Bulward Lytton appears, or Lytton, L-Y-T-T-O-N, appears next to him. This is a real person. Yeah, this is a real guy. Really? uh, A a writer and politician. He didn't look like this, Zach, though. He coined the term, uh, the pen is mightier than the sword, among other things. Nah, that was uh, Indiana Jones Sr. Fair. Um, (laughs) But he says that, like, he sort of appears next to him, says that's what they did to his body. They cut his head off and left him on this moor. Then they built a missile site on it and all this stuff. I I forgot that 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 he was the corpse. That's not how Edward Bulward Lighton died canonically, which is to say in the history books. Um, Do we wreck on history? Sorry, please continue. I don't know. Like they're sort of like they're just sort of adding in some spooky stuff. But basically, they're saying here that he developed the atomic bomb 50 years before Oppenheimer did using Vril power. And you might recall we talked about Vril power during Zenith, but it was basically this psychological theory that was very popular among um, certain esoteric theosophists, especially early followers of Nazism, among them like Madame Blavatsky and other folks like that. So I remember theosophists. Ver power? V-R-I-L. Vril. Vril power. Or energy. It's a spiritual concept that was big among Nazis, among early Nazis, basically. Like, this (sighs) is, like, like, the Vril shit is to Nazism as, like, Xenu is to Scientology, if that makes sense to you. Oh, <laughs> 100% and <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> like, like that, it's some weird esoteric stuff that you only really talk about at the highest levels of it. And that, Lynchpin, but also it's basically a secret code word. Right. And if you're, like, a, uh, a rank-and-file member of the team, if you heard about it, it might make the overall concept be less attractive. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> I've sat in a conditioning center before and got my thetans read. I've had that. Whoa. But anyway, buddy. Um, EBL, who I wrote as Edward Bowler Light. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of names. EBL, 
um, calls these dudes stupid insects, complains about the pointlessness of man, and Jim agrees. He wakes uh, so up he's to read Tim. It. Yeah, he wakes up to Tim taking off his shoes um, and starts freaking out. He says, "Like this isn't oh, my God, face." That's right. Which are words you never want to hear when you're trapped in a missile silo with somebody. Um, <laughs> Especially when they have one of the keys to launch. That's right. Jim gives him some guff about it. Or, or, or sorry, Ted gives him some guff about it. Mm. And Jim freaks out and then like is sick. He throws up. Ted, um, Ted's oh, getting worried when Jim po- comes up with a pistol and shoots Ted twice in the chest. The, the vomit coming out of his mouth. As he's standing up with a pistol in his hand. Yeah. Was Ted... Uh, gross. Yeah, it's, it's pretty gross. <laughs> Ted tries to pick up his own pistol, the one from last Prague, and there is a full Chekhov reference here. But when he tries to shoot... Um, when he tries to shoot Jim, his revolver just clicks. Bitch ain't no bullets. And he's holding all the bullets in his hand with foam coming through from his mouth. I'm pretty sure... I feel like I got the names reversed in my recap... Fu- Fox, but basically Jim's the crazy one. Ted is the one who's just been shot. And we also just had a moment where he removes his foot because or he removes his shoes because this isn't just the shining in a new in a missile silo. It's also die hard in a missile silo. Literally, it finally <laughs> happened. That's beautiful. Do you know how I actually kept track of them? I called them big and glasses. Yeah, that's definitely a better way to do what I think. Because dude, yeah, dude so- was like a big, strong guy. And just yeah. would not go down. So Glasses has been shot twice and has no shoes. And Big has gone insane. I mean, answer. and also Glasses has no bullets and Big has them in his hands. And he That's is right. drooling all over his lips. And man, oh man, I'm pretty bought into Silo. <laughs> yeah, this should be just, just a quick little actioner. But very much sort of a proof of concept of uh, Mark Miller being able to tell a taut action yarn here which i think was what we're i mean but also you know why i love it and it's i love it for the same reason that the future shock that you're about to go into is why i love that future shock (laughs) well let's do it buddy thrill seven future shocks oh Oh, sorry no go ahead script robot alan mckenzie is sydney falco art robot ron smith letting robot ellie deville I think that they are turning the pigeons into hell pigeons. Why not, you know? I mean, that's what I would have done a long yeah. time ago. So, Lundstead was a peaceful, happy town, except for all these dang pigeons pooping they everywhere pooping on and my cute girlfriend's uh, above navel. navel. So the town hired some riot cops to kill them all, basically. Club <laughs> to death. Good times. I, literally with a laser, like, iron... Like, I feel like it's like just kind of truncheons iron. and stuff. Or not but yeah, they take iron, these guys out. Um, later, it seems there's a big reactor malfunction that t- d- dumped 17 tons of radioactive coolant water into the Bristol Channel. And it's turned the pigeons rabid and angry. They're killing dogs and cows and maybe kids. They're shitting bucket loads <laughs> onto I, anti-fur I, protesters and then attacking <laughs> the townsfolk. I, I like... The two parts that I like about this, they are not worried that they are massive, terrifying pigeons. It's that they shit a whole lot. And also where they shit is on anti, like, yeah, animal just a random, murder. Random, very 1990, like, fur is murder protesters here. I mean, it's very clear that they are, uh, you know, far right leaning. They're like, nah, man, 
people have to. I don't even know if people care about fur anymore. Honestly, I'm just saying, um, like, like they're specifically shitting on the fur is murder people, which I think is just so. It it is funny by being confusing, if that makes sense. And it's ironic because, like, they're fighting for animal rights. You know, I Um, love it. Anyway, they call the riot cops back in, but when they try to beat these pages to death, like they just pages just dive bomb in and like rip dudes' legs off and stuff. <laughs> I want There's my, only one answer, Fox. My next familiar will be a giant radioactive pigeon. It's good, yeah. There's only one thing to do, and that's unleash the mutant house cat into the wild. But don't tell anyone about that we're doing this, Fox, because if they did, that would really put the cat among the pigeons. Bah, bah, bah! Sad like a that's like a British saying, I'm guessing. It's, an Agatha, it's definitely an Agatha Christie novel. Um, I, and listen. I don't, I don't, I, I didn't get the reference. The fine, like, it's just sort of a dumb, like, the idea, the, the fact is, is that it's just a dumb pun. And that's doubled up by the fact that um, the final panel of this comic is Tharg talking to Alan McKenzie, saying that this comic is in terrible taste and has a terrible pun at the end of it, so it must be printed immediately. I mean, it's exactly why he gave it four pages. But also, this is the perfect four-page future shock. I oh, yeah? rarely say that, Conrad. <laughs> I know, I know. You're you're usually pretty down on the uh, on these multi-pagers for sure. Each page had a gaff that built on top of it. Pigeons poop. Haha. Not the funniest thing, right? But then it's the police with the riot shields, and I'm serious. It is a golf club that they are killing the pigeons with. Right? Like a laser golf club. And they're like, oh, that's all this radiation. And then they show a a pigeon that is 20 times the size of the pigeon next to it looking evil. That they got then the sw- beaks. That then swoops in and dumps a bucket load of shit on top of a fur is murder person. And then rips off another person's arm. And then the police try to use their dumbass golf clubs to do something. But then it rips off another person's leg. And then they try to use anti-aircraft guns on them, which don't work. And so what do they do? They just dump a bunch of radioactive stuff on cats. Uh, it's nuke the whales all over yeah. again. Gotta nuke something. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that, that response is very, yeah, uh, whole it, thing. It, 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 was, it was the cherry on top, because as soon as I saw Killer Pigeons from Hell, I saved this for last. <laughs> I was so happy, Conrad. Nice. I have not been this happy with the future shocking forever. Anyway. That is shocking. But yeah, hey, speaking of saving stuff for the last, Fox, we've reached the end of this here set of progs. Oh, oh no. And thus, I have one question for you, my friend, which is what were your top and bottom thrills for this Prague 704 to 707? I will make no excuses. It shall be Anderson of Side Division as my top. So, you know, I mean, we talked about this a bit. Like, it is... uh, So, Dread is doing this huge amount of work just being the opener, which actually I feel... uh, I would rather it be somewhere near the middle anyway. Just as kind of the pick-me-up, if that makes sense. Um, Maybe. Very, very good. Very, very good right now. Uh, And Silo, I'm excited about. And of course, Hooligan's haircut gets the nod. But man, what Shambhala for me right now is masterful. And it's not even just that there, there isn't a ton of writing. It's that when someone says something it's impactful and engages in the art going on the 
each panel has some kind of action or some kind of emotional anchor. Uh, and from these kind of emotional moments comes sick as hell action or solutions, right? Like, I have a magical medallion and it's going to make you dig snow now. I'm fucking all right with that. But also shooting out a bunch of snow to crush a bunch of super soldiers, I'm also okay with. Also helicopter backpacks. It's just uh, like I can name all the silly shit except that her and Mikhail are super compelling for me. And it's brought even more to the forefront because of their predecessors. I don't know how this is going to end, but it is a judge-based story. So it's going to end complicated and fucked up and not happy, but it will end somewhat open-ended. I mean, you know, we'll we'll see how it goes. I hope they stick the landing is basically what I'm trying to say. Yeah, Uh, I mean, you know. I like it. That's all. Cool. Um, Yeah. And what's your bottom? I would have given it to Time Flies if it didn't do a complete 180. You know what I mean? It's fun to read Time Flies right now. It's not quite close enough to the cream at the top, but I have absolutely no fucking problem of saying Harlem Heroes. What the fuck was that ending, Conrad? Oh, they cleared their names. I don't know. Did they? <laughs> I don't know. Don't, it, ask, just, don't ask me to justify. Like, I, I really like you've done a lot of asking me to justify <sighs> Harlem Heroes, buddy. And it's not something I, I want to do. I, so, right? so I don't I don't actually believe it's it's your responsibility to do it. I just need to ask someone. And I can't ask my mom. She has no context, right? Because the answer to the story is, yeah, man, it's shitty. Like, it, I don't know. It is. It started as a wet fart. And now it's just like the 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 condensation in the underwear at this point like that's how it ended okay stinky and ineffectual and conrad please tell me your top and bottom all right yeah no need for us to play in the mud of the grossness here fox sorry Uh, but um sorry ladies and gentlemen (laughs) listen um yeah bottom um harlem heroes man i've been i said it from the start and it's now it's done, and so whatever. I mean, I call that a minus double X rating. It's like um, PG. Top, I'm going to say Hooligan's Haircut. I really like this story. I liked how it ended. It was a story that was challenging to do recaps for, and that was really fun. And um, like the art, like the tone of the story. What like put the it above some of the other fun. stories that you read today? Sorry, what, what, can you oh, say that said, again? What, what put it above some of the other stories? Because I know how you feel about dread stories as an example like what really Um, caught you about it i mean i'd say the not like the the novelty and the unusualness of the art style and just the subject matter and stuff Mm. um fun to read right yeah i mean yeah it was a fun story i I liked it a lot and i thought it was um yeah and i I really like the art and yeah it was great and i think like you know everything else or a a lot of the other stuff was fine i like dread a lot i'm enjoying anderson's got a very cinematic feel that i think Mm. is is also a little unusual, but I'm really enjoying. Um, I think Time Flies is like, it's... It's fine. At this point, it, it was pretty funny. So I'm sort of feeling that one a lot more. But like I said, once you kind of get rid of the Nazi, of most of the Nazi stuff, I'm feeling a lot better about <laughs> we, it. We had enough uh, um, swastikas at the uh, Star-Lord-a-thon, yeah, the Star-Lord-a-thon. I feel Lord-a-thon. like. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still at, I'm still at max capacity. <laughs> um, and then I like the start of Silo, this kind of weird, kind of creepy... 
um, cat and mouse game, I think. Uh, you know, uh, listen, I've said Die Hard in a, enough that when we literally have Die Hard in a missile silo, I've got to give it at least a vague thumbs up. So, but I think can you give me one hint about Silo? Give me one hint about Silo. Will I enjoy it? Do you think? On, I, I honestly, I remember the broad. I remember this opening to Silo, mm. but I don't remember anything else about it really. Um, I, it's short. I remember that. Um, I like that. So we'll see how it goes, but I can't. It's not one that is really um, stuck in my brain, which I mean, doesn't it might mean be much. A secret, well, that means it might yeah. be a secret treasure because the start is so far. I don't. I like it because because I'll say like honestly, we're reaching a point where I was I was starting. Oh, I was right. really focusing more on on reading Dread than on. The rest of the prog in my prog slog. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll know some things and I remember art for things maybe or something like that. But I definitely – this is one where the the meat of the story is going to be pretty new to me. So, so this, this could be gold or fool's gold potentially. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I will say that, that it leads to Mark Miller having a lot more work in 2000 AD. So. <laughs> hey, man. That makes me happy. For better or for worse, I guess. But oh. yeah. Cool. So I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Spotify, or a podcast site at spacespinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. On the 2080 forums or our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages on Twitter, we're at Space Spinner 2K for everything else with Space Spinner 2000. Find us there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green and your friends at the 2080 forums. If you'd like to join them and help support the show, we'd really appreciate it. Check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Cradaline. That's our podcast network. There you can support us and receive a ton of excellent rewards, including advanced episodes, coverage of modern 2000 AD in the magazine, and even monthly QAs with your boys, Conrad and Fox. You can ask me anything. You can ask him yeah. anything. And more than anything, you're supporting your boys. That's Cradline Network. We're doing a good job. Hey, why don't you come over here, ask us some questions maybe. Maybe give us a buck. Maybe give him a buck. Also, I love you, if that helps. Yeah, buddy. And don't forget to check out the next episode of Big Meg One this Friday. And then come back on Monday where we'll be finishing up 1990 with a bang. We'll, We'll get to the end of this story. Silo and time flies. Go space recycling in Junker, and the torch will be passed as Death Aid begins in Judge Dread. What? That's right. And until then, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid for three!